Together by live simulation via the internet. Scott Gardner and Chris Honeywell. Everything is proceeding as I have foreseen. <laughs> Hello and welcome once again to Return of the Jedi Month. This is the comic book adaptation uh, episode covering the Marvel comic. Depending on which edition you're looking at, we're either covering the Marvel comics four-issue miniseries or the Marvel Comics Super Special number 27 ah. or the Marvel Comics Illustrated Books version of Return of the Jedi or any number of uh, other places that this uh, particular thing has been reprinted. I, by the way, am Scott Gardner and I am joined as always by my bestest pal in the universe, Chris Honeywell and a veritable schlue of podcasting's finest which he is now giants going to introduce yes giants of Veritable the industry podcasting giants and shag we got shag here too <laughs> <laughs> hello so we'll so we'll start right now we got the irredeemable shag and hello. some podcasting giants hi shag welcome to our show thank you thank you little thank guy you. it's nice to be back on your little show thanks well, well not not everybody can do an Aquaman Firestorm show, Shay. So yeah, I don't do that alone. I've got a new co-host I like to hang around with, just for the record. Are they like yeah, apparently you can make you can make time for him on a weekly basis, but that's oh, mm-hmm. yep, you know it. <laughs> and uh, the jilted the jilted ex podcast mate, we've got Mike Bailey. You heard his dulcet tones piping in. Not bitter at all. Not nope. Not bitter. <laughs> He's standing He's outside my window holding a jam box playing that song from Say Anything. I'm like, go away! <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm, sitting outside, on. I'm sitting outside your window with a jam box playing Lofty Necks. So. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Here. And, and after a long, too long of an absence on Two True Freaks, we've got Josh Bertoni on. Yeah. yeah. Once again, I'm, I'm wearing my fireproof pants. You guys, uh, it's a dangerous <laughs> podcast. That was that the last podcast you were on when your house burned down, May burned to the ground, and he never yeah. stopped podcasting. He just took a break for a while to see what was happening. I, then... I'm envisioning that in the in the interim, he was making like Harrison Ford and Witness, and he had like a bunch of Amish people come over, and they've been rebuilding his place. <laughs> They're building it around him right now. Is they built him a nice little uh, laptop out of like popsicle sticks and wood and and twine. It was those damn hoojibs, you know. It's uh, I mean, 
Never I mean, speak ill of the Hoojibs. <laughs> I said that I would come back as long as we weren't doing a podcast about a Star Wars comic where the rebels go to a forest planet and team up with little creatures. You know, so. <laughs> yeah, it's it's not gonna happen from now on. <laughs> and finally, oh, wait, I want to I want to introduce the 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 last. Oh, okay. Of our, of our I was cast getting all here. excited about it, but because you, I've you been, go ahead. I've been, I've been practicing. Oh, <clears throat> and yeah, Chris, he, he gave you the shitty guest stars to introduce. Apparently, <laughs> I guess so. And okay, it's Andy, okay, Scott, you you, it's, you 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 skim off the cream now, man. All right, here go we go. Ahead. All right, drum roll, please. It's Andy Leyland. Did well, I get that? Uh, right. All right. Yes, you did. Right. Hello, lovely people from I'm here sure in I'll Riot Hall, UK. Once. Am I the only lovely one that looked to at be that back? Name? Am I the only one that looked at that name the first time and said Leyland? Because when, when you, Andy You're was... the only one who simply listened to me say it every week on the show, <laughs> apparently. Well, I mean, even when you were you were writing to me... Oh, the accent, and it, you know... The British my, accent... It sounds like you're saying Leland. I'm sorry, it just that's how it sounds the, to the, my the, ear. The, yeah, the, 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 the American ear, the British accent, sort of... It's, it's almost like snake charming. It lulls us into this sort of fugue state where we don't really know what's going on. We just sort of somewhat... We absorb the meaning of what's being said, but we, you know, I mean, we automatically translate telly into television and lifts into because you know yeah because when we hear lifts we think everybody's wearing like platform shoes or something (laughs) there you know well also you know we're all programmed from being very young that the the british are the bad guys of the universe between general zod and uh and the bad guys from empire and return of the jedi so Speak for yourself. I grew up on Doctor Who, man. Bad guys all had British accents good on Doctor man. Who, too. Oh, that's a good point there, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> well, except for even exterminate. So, yeah, some of them had some of them had Asian accents too. I remember Wang Chiang was fairly uh. Mister Sin. Mister Sin. I like the Mister Sin, but you just like Sin. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. I wallow in it. <laughs> Today I'm going to wallow in the the, I don't know which deadly sin would would Return of the Jedi would that be like I don't I don't think holding false idols is a that's a gluttony. commandment gluttony yes we're gonna we're gonna gorge after, on on Return of the Jedi today. I would think after Lucas has tinkered with it so much hubris, yes, would, uh, would be a good yes. one. Yeah, I was going to throw that out there, too, actually. That's exactly where I was going. <laughs> well, so we are going to look at uh, Return of the Jedi. We're going to look at the comic book adaptation. Now, this was adapted by Archie Goodwin with art by a whole bunch of uh, top-notch artists. Here we got Al Williamson, Carlos Garzon, Tom Palmer, and Ron Friends. And I suspect there may have been other hands at work yeah. in this issue as well. There was... Bill uh, Sinkovich. On the cover yes. of the super special, it's a yes. beautiful cover, boy. Why uh, the hell? He did some the... finishes. Yeah, in the issue itself. Yeah, you're yeah. right. Why the hell has this never been a poster or a T-shirt? I, I just have to know that. The Bill Sinkovich it... cover. Yeah. It's fantastic, isn't it? Anybody here not like this cover? Wait, the Get super out now. Special, is that what you're saying? Yes. Yeah. 
Shag doesn't see it. Shag doesn't yeah, I don't. I don't actually have it. So I don't. It's know. a beautiful bill set. Yeah, if only there was this thing called the internet with an image. <laughs> <so>. <laughs> oh, for fuck's sakes! Yeah. <laughs> but where can we find such a magic box? Well, that's something we should probably go around real quick is who's got what, because there are several different uh, printings of this thing. So I have the super special and, by the way, I have the uh, the illustrated book. Now, that's what you're seeing, right? Shag is the illustrated book. Wow, well, that super special cover is gorgeous. <laughs> it says in full color in the little was box. That so, yeah, was that so hard, Shag? Wow. You, you could have done it and just looked it up later, too. I think, I think what I'm going to do is I'm just going to comment on stuff that happened like 90 seconds ago throughout the whole podcast. That's okay. what I'm going to do. Get a stopwatch and <laughs> okay. it'll be like a little game we'll play. Seriously, that's really freaking cool with the A-Wings and the TIE Interceptors. and That's a really gorgeous cover. You guys I should, love it. Hey, listener, go to your computers. There's this thing called the Internet. Anyway. Well, I have always thought that the TIE Interceptors on that cover look very like Tron. You know, they look very almost like that digital angles type of thing, like like Tron style animation. And well, I really it's like it's got that um, vector graphics yes. sort of look yeah. on it. Yeah, and, and Sinkevitz when he paints does. And this is a very restrained Sinkevitz cover too. This is a very like ill. Ill he he's not going nuts with his illustration I, style, you know, and his yeah. All, his, his, all his covers are that way. The covers he's got on the issues are the same. They're very restrained for him. And I think that's why I like it because Sinkavich unleashed. Uh, I really don't care for his style most of the time. Amen. Uh, I love uh, but, it in the but, right context, depending on yeah. what he's doing. Like, if he well, did the whole adaptation of this and that style, I wouldn't be down with it at all. Yeah, I exactly. liked what he did with Dune, though. Well, that kind of fits with Dune, really, when you yeah. think about it. And yeah, it, and there was David Lynch involved, so yeah. there you go. <laughs> you know, so. I'm noticing a couple of things here in the uh, Marvel Illustrated Books edition. It does list additional artists. It lists Dan Green and Bill Sankevic working in the interior just as illustrators. So it adds to that list beyond uh, Ron Friends, which it lists in the uh, and Super Special. Also, I totally would have misnailed this cover because I would swear that the cover on this is Dave Cockrum, but it's not. It's Marie Severin. The, yeah, the illustrated the, version? Yeah. And Frank, I've never known how to pronounce this dude's name. Is it Giacoya? That's how I'd say it. It's not that great of a cover on the illustrated manual. Or illustrated book, I mean. Uh, no, I mean Chewy looks kind of off. Three PO looks a little off. Luke looks way off, and that skiff in the background looks just kind of sad. <laughs> yeah, apparently Ed Norton was involved in this too. If you look at yeah, the, he's credited uh, in the production staff. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Norton, get my lightsaber! Come on. You know, yeah. Well, it's it's nice that he went on to be you know Bruce Banner. So I'm yes I'm excited about that. It's a big step up in the world right there from from uh, working on the interiors of a Marvel <laughs> Illustrated book to being the Incredible Hulk. Uh, I totally failed to look this up, but I suspect this may be the, you know, here it is this far into the series. This might be the first time we're actually seeing the words a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away in a Marvel Star Wars comic. I could be wrong about that. Like I say, I failed to look it up, but I know that the regular monthly issues always said long ago in a galaxy far away. Or yeah, I don't to... think the, the other adaptations didn't have it in. 
Right. As far as I remember. Um, I've, I mean, if we're introducing what we're reading from, I've got the Super Special, which is knackered. My copy of the Super Special. I've got the little paperback book that you and Shag are talking about, which I almost got busted by airport security for looking at. But the one I'm looking at is what? the glorious 1984 British hardback annual Ooh. with this adaptation Ooh. in it. The only problem with this is they cut the first two pages out. So I've cut the first two pages out of the British Marvel comic and stuck them in. Excellent. <laughs> wow. Problem solved. Yes. So, so what were those really first two pages? The first two pages were the shuttle arrives at the Death Star. Are wow, that whole British scene is just cover. missing? Yep. Those first, Because British annuals were 64 pages, the, this has no adverts in, and the adaptation starts straight on the inside front cover. They had to lose two pages of the adaptation, uh-huh. so they just locked off the first two pages. Wow. Huh. A cruel joke. That's what I know, you get for not living in instance. America. Yeah, well, in every other instance, <laughs> this is a gorgeous hardcover of what you would call a graphic novel nowadays. Yeah, that sort of sums it all up, right? It it sums it all up. It's a gorgeous hardcover, but the first two pages are missing. The first two pages are missing. (laughs) (laughs) God, genius. It's okay. In America, it's a a ratty paperback, but the last two pages are missing. So that doesn't make any sense, but I just wanted to say it. Wow, the coloring is completely different in the little illustrated book. I think the coloring is yep. different almost from the the from the you know the what was it four comics the four, yeah, four comics like, the colors different in there it's different in the super special the super special has more of a painted look to it you know I was say who who has the best colors which one the uh, hardback British one the dark oh, of horse is the hardback yeah. British one. The hardback. I'm sorry, but it does. The paper quality is much better than the super special. I, I the colours are more vibrant and just generally more pleasing. It looks a bit subdued in the super special. Um, yes. The little paperback boot, the colouring is good, but it doesn't seem like they had a, as a rich a colour palette for this right. for whatever reason. I mean, just looking at page one, if you have a look in the adaptation in the hardcover in the page that I've ripped out to put in my hardcover. The moon is is shaded uh, like a, a red down through yellow, like right. a two shade thing. In the little paperback book, it's just plain yellow. Mm-hmm. So whether or not there was some kind of printing issues with the little paperback, where they didn't have as rich a color, they probably didn't like want to spend as know. much money on it. Is yeah, what I'm thinking. Yeah. And that it's lower quality paper too. It's more like newsprint yeah. type paper. Mm-hmm. Still worth getting Dark the rest. Horse. Dark Horse recolored the whole thing in the '90s, and. Uh, there's I there there's no panel that looks exactly the same, and they changed Luke's hair because in all the Marvel ones they keep his hair the same color from A New Hope until on, like it, it's always that yellow. But uh, when they when they reprinted it for the Dark Horse Return of the Jedi, his hair is more of a brownish. Now where where was that reprinted? Is that like a like a special edition or a graphic novel or something? When they re-released the VHSs in the mid-90s, two years before the special editions in 1995, they it was classic Star Wars, Return of the Jedi, and they did it in two issues. And yep. then they had a trade paperback for it. First they had one with uh, the Yoda cover, which was the same cover as the VHS. Then when the special editions came out, Dark Horse re-released it again. But it's the same interior, and the cover for that was... Um, 
it was a painting. Who was that painter? This guy was painting. I think it was Dave Dorn. No, it wasn't Dave Dorman. This guy was painting Star Wars. Code. Do you know who it is, Shag? Well, I'm looking at uh, the individual issues, not the collection right now. The individual issues uh, had an Adam Hughes cover on the first one. Is and, it Matt uh, Bush? Allie Williamson cover on the next one. There was a cover where it's Leia's face, and she's in the slave girl outfit, and yeah. then like you know, and then that's there's the Adam, Luke. That's the yeah, that's the Adam Hughes cover. But the and, and then there's like Luke in the bottom corner fighting the Rancor. Uh, this is a different one that I'm talking about. This is just Leia all cheese caked up on Java. Yeah, uh, let me, again, that's, again, that's the issues. Not yeah, the I've got that up though. on the internet. Yeah, the Adam Hughes me, one's Princess Leia. Yeah, I'm looking. Oh at yeah, yeah, yeah. That's um. Oh yeah, he. That is the guy that. Had to have been the guy who did the VHS covers. I can't seem to get a name though. It's just uh, the image, but yeah, it's a close-up of Leia's slave girl face with the rancor, and it looks very. Oh, it's Hildebrand. Hildebrand, that was it. They yeah. did the Star Wars uh, Shadows of the Empire cards, and they were really big in the late nineties. Yeah. Yeah. And, Greg and Tim Hildebrand. Yeah. And Dark and Dark Horse put it out again when um, Lucas did. Uh, in 2006, when Lucas re-released the 2004 DVDs, but this time he had the original theatrical editions in there, if you got them at Walmart, it came with um, reprints of the Marvel comics. And uh, they had the Bill Sinkovich cover with with the Walmart edition, but the interiors were the um, Dark Horse reprints. Hmm. Ah. I'm going to have to seek that out, because I'd, I'd really like to see this uh, properly recolored, because the... The two editions I've got, I've got issues with both of them. Like you say, the super special looks just kind of muted, and the and the colors are are frequently off on some of the characters, most notably Boba Fett. And then the illustrated book, the colors are pretty good, but like Andy said, they they have a very limited color palette uh, to Boba work Fett. with. It. Boba Fett, where <laughs> his colors are a little bit better in the in the illustrated thing, but uh, it's it's I don't know, it looks. It looks more colored as in like coloring book colored, you know, where where whole, you know, vast pieces of it are one color, like you would color in a com in a coloring book or something as opposed to standard comic book coloring. So it's still plus it's a little too bright. It's, it's almost like day glow. It's so bright in a lot of the sequences. It's on the uh, in, in in the super special. I think it was that Baxter paper. Mm hmm. It mm. kind of pops up too much, so so we have, like, if a, if two solid colors overlap in the super specials, you can sort of see a line where the two inks are on top of each other, you know? Yeah. It doesn't soak into the paper as much as newsprint. I've always had an issue with the whole Baxter paper look over it. It looks like somebody watercolored it, you know? Yeah. Over it. Yeah. Over it. Very much so. Yeah, it's too light. Here's some information about some of the Dark Horse reprints that I just found on Wikipedia. Um, listeners with enhanced AAC can see this. Oh, just kidding. <laughs> well, let's see. Let's uh, let's start running along here. I won't read the whole thing, but the, the crawl is uh, noticeably different from the one that we get in the movie itself. Um, but I like this opening splash page. I think it looks very nice. What do you guys think of the opening splash? Well, the shuttle, Tidarian. Oh, it's probably not Tidarian, but the shuttle is just gorgeous. I mean, Williamson mm -hmm. just—we we, talked. You guys talked about this when we when you did Empire. I mean, he just has such an eye for the details and the machinery, and, and almost that Flash Gordon-esque sense of mm -hmm. making the Star Wars universe adventurous. And it's just—you see it here, right here on the first page. 
I'll agree with that. I, I love... Uh, Scott and I were actually talking about this the other night, and he called me a bad person. Uh, <laughs> visually, I'm always more... I'm always more attracted to the Empire when it comes to vehicles and costumes and such. So more often than not, if it's an Empire vehicle, I will be into it. And I love the way... I, I agree with Shag. I, I love the way the the Imperial shuttle looks, but I also like the Super Star Destroyer in the background. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and the Death Star... The weird thing about the art, and I think it's it's going to be a common theme probably among a lot of our notes, is that when the art's good, the art is freaking fantastic. And when the art's off, it's just like, whoa, what's going on here? Right. Uh, but I, I have to say that overall, all of the tech looks really good uh, throughout the issue. It's just the people that get a little wonky. <laughs> Makes me wonder if that was from the several different hands going on in it, you know? Yeah. Well, to me, yeah. uh, Archie Goodwin and Al Williamson, that's like the dream Star Wars team because yeah. they were doing the newspaper strip for a few years and they knocked it out of the park there. They did the Empire adaptation. They did Jedi. So they're like, like for this era, that's the, that, that, that's the team. Yeah, I think like the Empire adaptation, I think, is my favorite comic adaptation of a movie ever. I think it's the best you know, drawn best made one of all time. And it was because of those two mostly. Hmm. See, I would still have to go with the original as, as my favorite. one. That's my favorite, really? but I don't think it's the best one. It's my favorite because that's basically what got me into comics, but right. Yeah, exactly. I think, I think largely for sentimental reasons, it's you a know. little, but oh. you know, when you go with art and everything, it's a bit inconsistent. You know what I mean? It, it, right. It, it waggles back and forth, whereas Empire had, it was a, a whole theme. The, the same as this one, you know, it's it's got to look all the way through it from beginning to end. Well, the first one, I think the first one's my favorite as well, because there's just so much in it that was missing from the film that was also in the novel as well. But right. for a lot of kids, that first six-issue Star Wars adaptation was our introduction to Star Wars as what's now called Expanded Universe. And right. there was all the stuff with Biggs, and there was all the, the background stuff that was just so tantalizing, like the, the stuff, the Clone Wars stuff that Ben talks about. And there's a bit, there's stuff, you can hover over it in the comic adaptation, whereas the film, you know, we oldens didn't have DVDs and videos. And the comic adaptation, I don't know about you guys, but I read it thousands of times because of those extra bits. And I do think... The, the penetration of that comic is why we all know who the hell Biggs Darklighter is. I mean, think about it. Other than movie nerds like us, Joe Public doesn't know scenes that were cut from a film unless it's Star Wars. There are people who aren't big fans who know Biggs Darklighter because of that comic adaptation. You know, you make a very good point. I mean, that was, our, that was, our, that was our DVD extras, you know? Yeah. Yes. So... Without a doubt, yeah. and I, I got a follow-up question to that because Andrew kind of set up what I want to talk about was um, when they did the first Star Wars one. I think most of us probably know that you know, they were working from scripts and they were working from still shots. Do we have any idea at how far along Return of the Jedi was and what access the creator, you know, creative team of the comics had? Well, there's some some of the stuff's dead on, and then some of it stuff's like what, huh? 
Yeah, definitely. Some of this is is you know right off a screenshot, you know, or, or right yeah, off there's, a, a there's, picture. There's definitely some stills that I recognize flicking through this. Oh yeah, that they've just copied. But yeah, some of it is. I mean, they can't have had stills, for example, of the emperor. Can they at that point? I, I, I think they pretty much would have to have had because I mean it, it's dead on. Whereas yeah. it does, it doesn't bear any resemblance to the prior emperor that we had seen in oh, yeah. um, Empire at all. So they must have had. I'm thinking they had a good amount of uh, of production stills. Mm. But again, I, I, I this this one Empire. Yeah. Well, yeah. The the a lot of the frames I'm noticing with Yoda are right out of Empire rather than yeah. out of uh, out of Jedi itself. Mm. Yeah, that was, Direct copy in there, isn't it? That was my big note too. Is this like, uh, you know, we'll get to it later. But the shot of Luke pulling out the uh, blaster to, you know, after he gets the blaster from, uh, I can't remember. Damn it, the, the guard in Jabba's. Yeah, and he points it at, at at Jabba. That shot is in there. There are shots of Yoda that are right out of the movie that are uh -huh. in there. And actually, that it kind of increased. See, I haven't read this since I was seven years old uh, mm -hmm. because I remember very vividly getting the four issues in a, in a comic pack uh, at the grocery store with my mom. Uh -huh. And I remember not enjoying the comic when I was a kid. Uh, I don't know why. I just didn't, you know, I was excited to get it and I was happy to have it. But it's just like it, it disappointed me on some level and I don't know. And, and rereading it, I was going in thinking that I was going to hate it and I ended up not. Uh, ex except, well, you know, it's got some bumps along the way, and I think it really could have used two more issues to uh, flesh the story out a lot more. Uh -huh. But uh, I love the shots right from the movie because it, it, it helps me kind of hear the dialogue clearer in my head and the voices of the actors instead of me just, you know, kind of hearing whatever voices are vying for control of my personality at the moment. So. <laughs> Well, let's do that. Let's uh, let's kind of go through this, uh, you know, page by page or scene by scene, and, and kind of break it down. Right off the bat, one of my first notes is, I you know, I can't help but wonder exactly which version of the script they're going off of here. I kind of doubt it's the final shooting script in some instances, although the dialogue does follow the movie pretty closely. closely but it, yeah. it's it's where the, it deviates from the movie dialogue that I find really interesting. And right off the bat, one of them is. Um, where R2 and 3PO are approaching the palace and 3PO in the movie says uh, Lando Calrissian and poor Jaba Chewbacca never returned from this awful place but in this he says poor Lando never returned and then he says why couldn't Chewbacca deliver this message I think that actually works better given what happens in the movie that we see Chewie and Leia show up later after yep. the droids you know implying that they were like waiting in reserve you know for their for their introduction rather than the way it's played in the movie is almost as if Lando and Chewie had already been there. And clearly that's not the case because Chewie shows up later. So I always thought that was a little bit awkward. You'd think it's something he'd fix in his myriad special editions, wouldn't you? Because <laughs> <laughs> it, wouldn't, it wouldn't be hard to re-loop Anthony Daniels' dialogue to don't, fix the right. obvious mistake instead don't of him tampering with all yeah, the crap that he does tamper with. It partially well, see, works, I wouldn't though. mind him fixing mistakes. I don't mind him doing that. It's I when he's adding stuff that doesn't need. 
Well, I just I don't think it qualifies necessarily as a mistake because you know I just as a kid I just assumed that Le- um, that Leia and Chewie had gone off Took somewhere off, yeah. to, to stage yeah. this ruse, you know, whether it be to get her costume or or fake it so when Jabba heard about this smuggler, I mean, a bounty hunter to seem more realistic, whatever. So I never saw it as a, a mistake, just, you know, bad information on 3PO's part. Yeah, they right. uh, 3PO only had need-to-know information because yeah, he has a big mouth. The, the idea that 3PO's got a big mouth. Yeah. So yeah they don't trust him, clearly. Tell- <laughs> yeah. If you're not following the expanded universe and, you know, you the last you saw of everyone was Empire Strikes Back. This does kind of work because you know you do see Lando and Chewie go together. Say yeah. okay, we're go- we're going the Tatooine, and then this movie opens up. Poor you know Chewbacca and Lando never return from this place. So if you don't know about you know uh, meeting Mandalorians in the jungle or uh, Hujibs or Shadows of the Empire, then this kind of works. So do you think Actually, this was Archie Goodwin fixing what he perceived to be a script problem? Mm, good question. That could be. That could be. But now that you know, you guys have just made me realize something that, like you say, they they probably don't want to bring three uh, PO in on everything because he does have a big mouth, and he could have blown Leia's cover had he known that she was Bausch. So maybe they let him run with that idea that that Lando and Chewie went in together. Whatever happened to them happened to them. So then when she shows up with Chewie in tow. He's like, to go, oh, Princess time. Leia. He, exactly. You know, he had been caught by, you know, so 3PO himself bought into the ruse. I, I can see that working. Well, obviously, 3PO doesn't know the plan. And R2 right. <laughs> right. <laughs> Anybody feel free to jump in with anything in between here. I'm just going to use my notes as kind of a template. I really don't have another one until uh, Bausch and, uh, and Chewie show up, which was as they dragged Chewie away, I noticed his feet for the first time. I can remember, like, really consciously looking at Chewie's feet. They look pretty much exactly the way they do in the movies, whereas that was one of the big things, especially in the early, like, Infantino days of of Marvel Star Wars. Always drove me crazy because he had, like, you know, like, uh, monkey paws and and stuff. Yeah, Yeah, he always had like sandals. Yeah, exactly. But that's how they look in the movie, too. Mm I love the callback uh, when they're in Jabba's throne room. There's that caption that says, A wretched hive of scum and villainy. The words of Obi-Wan Kenobi leap through 3PO's memory circuits mm-hmm. as they were spoken. Basically comparing what Obi-Wan said about Mos Eisley's, in other words, to uh, to Jabba's throne room. I like I like that, the little callback there. Yeah. I kind of dig the fact that, you know, a couple pages in, Jabba and Bib Fortuna and basically everybody kind of go back and forth on speaking English or speaking, I guess that's Hatties. Uh-huh. That would be, you know, because, you know, the, the, the first um, line from Bib Fortuna is, Ne Jabba no bada. And, you know, we get the Bushuda. But then on the next page, and I kind of picture it as, like, really bad dubbing. Like, <laughs> bargain rather than fight, the Skywalker is not a Jedi Master. Uh-huh. True, we will keep his gift, Bib Fortuna. There will be no bargain. It's just like, well, good, because, you know, I, I read... The, it, it's like reading the subtitles, almost. Yes. Right. Uh, in, in comic book form. I, you know, I, I I said before that I'd really like, you know, two more issues out of this. I gotta admit, though, Archie Goodwin makes the most of the space he is given in this whole special. Uh-huh. It's like all of the major beats are covered. And because I've seen Jedi so many times, I can kind of fill in the holes in my head. 
but if but just reading this as a comic it pops i mean this thing starts moving and doesn't which is one of my criticisms of the film itself is that this opening is so long and drawn out because hmm. of the kind of you know the, the the time they take to show us java's palace and to set the stage and to have a musical number and all and a that robot torture scene yeah and a, and a robot torture scene whereas when you read it here it's just like let's go come on <laughs> keep it moving well people. they can do all that stuff in a panel in this yeah and right. uh, See, with the benefit of hindsight would you have preferred it start with luke coming to the palace everyone's already captured and you change the scroll to something like a plan has backfired and everyone's now in the clutches of the vile gangster drabble the hut and then luke shows up and they go from there it would have well, been nice with the comic too because it would have like left some stuff even if you read the comic it would have left some new stuff in the movie to well, see I, would, I still would have definitely left the the, the the in the comic or in the movie andrew um either because um, i mean we'll get to this later i think but my thinking is there's too much time on this and not yeah. enough time with luke vader Right. I'm well, obviously, I, this I, is 2020 hindsight, but I, I think the stuff with the droids and Jabba was necessary, though, because in order for it to seem like a real threat when Luke gets there, they had to establish it first. That's it's yeah. True. But, well, the point no, I always sorry. the point I always make is if if you don't know this if you don't know the story at this point, you don't know if the good guys are winning or losing it. it <laughs> at any point in this because sometimes it looks like they're winning sometimes it's losing sometimes it looks like they have a plan sometimes it looks like they have a plan but it's not working sometimes you think it's working perfectly so it keeps you off center through all this you're seeing them you know you're seeing them sort of parry back and forth with Jabba you know and it's and there was so much build up to this that you know I think they really wanted to milk out the introduction of all your beloved characters right too. yeah my, the only thing is, I, I would disagree slightly about the pacing, is that, in theory, I agree um, that he's moving it right along, that it's nicely paced, but because of certain mandates that were put down upon the team by Lucasfilm themselves about things that they couldn't include in the issue, and the end feels terribly abbreviated, it almost feels like they ran out of space to do the end of the book as as big and bombastic as it actually is in the movie itself. And so it, it's one of those comics, and I, I'm sure you guys have, have read at least one comic like this in the course of your you know comic book reading careers, where it feels like you got to the end of the story and they had to just hurry up and end it, you know what I mean? So the, the ending feels kind of unsatisfying. That's kind of how this book feels to me, is like, it's nicely paced to about three-fourths of the way through it, and then they thought, shit, we've only got We're like five out of pages to wrap this up. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, they wrap it up really fast, and that's kind of how it feels, and and I always I, I, thought they did that because they wanted to to leave the movie to to stretch out that part. So it was like, okay, here, here's here's a general story of the end, but you know, we'll let the movie for real do right. the whole fi you finish it off for real. You know what I Which mean? Which kind of is, but not purposely. It was more that it was mandated. You know, and and I'll get into this. Well, in I mean that that a that, lot. That's you know, what's funny is you can read this and walk away going, "Well, that was pretty good. That was Return of the Jedi." It's when you actually really slow down and pay attention, scene by scene by scene, and do a comparison that you realize, 
holy crap, they left out this, they left out that. There's actually a ton of the movie that's well, not in this adaptation. As, as a bit of merchandising and publicity, doing that is a good idea, but as to as you know, to the quality of it as an actual comic taken out of context of, you know, publicizing, you know, now many, 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 you know, many decades after it came right. out as a comic, it doesn't hold up as much when like, right. like I remember when, when I got this, you know, a week before the movie came out, I remember reading it and going, okay, it's kind of a cliff notes. You could tell everything was just crammed in there. You right. know, um, I don't know how comic book contracts work, but it seems to me that a lot of the editing and speeding up, if you will, happens in the last two issues. Is it right. possible Goodwin was under the impression this was going to be six issues? Because most of that's the cutting possible. out stuff is the last two segments. Right. They, they that might that's have been entirely doing, possible. They might have been doing that. They might have been trying to then they might have been like, well, we want it to fit all in a super special, you know? Yeah. But they fitted well, all of Empire in a super special, and that was six issues. That's true. That's Did true, super true. specials have specific page counts? Ooh, that's a good question. You know, I have no idea. I have no idea. I always thought yeah. of them as generally sixty-four, but this one's sixty-eight pages. Well, now you know. Now that I think about it, as I look at my my oversized books on my bookshelf, the one for Empire is one of the thicker. Uh, like treasury edition size uh -huh. books that I do have of that size. So it may be bigger than a standard, uh, I, but I've never actually paid attention to the page count. But that's, that's a good question. While we're um, in the throne room, um, that scene where Jabba's saying uh, Bo Shuda, it's a panel of him and Bib Fortuna and Ula, and on the top it's 3PO and R2. Uh -huh. that, is, that is not in all the editions. I don't think that's in the paperback. Each of the four issues of the adaptation had one full-page splash that wasn't in other editions of the reprint. And the one for this issue was the big one of Jabba and Ula and... Uh, it's Bib cut Fortuna. in half in the paperback. Yeah. It's on page 12. It's chopped in half so it fits into a paperback's dimensions. And the coloring is completely different, too. On, on the yeah. page before that, I love it. There's a little Bernie Wrightson-looking worm thing with a hat yeah. on, drinking drinking a jug, of, a hillbilly jug of space whiskey. Moon it's almost like they called I, in Bernie Bernie Wrightson and said, hey, we got a little uh, negative space behind Jabba here. Can you just give us a little uh, unman there drinking <laughs> some space juice? I, lo I love the aliens throughout this thing. Yes. He, he he totally went for like he, I guess he you know was thinking all right well Henson's doing this stuff so a lot uh -huh. of them have ridiculously sized Muppet eyes that yeah. just <laughs> right, right after uh, the dancer falls through the floor there's a scene of several of them and they're all of their eyes almost other than the Quarren is just hilarious they're like Rah, giant eyes <laughs> let's see moving along here and again stop me if you've got something in between I noticed at least in the super special that the third panel and again i wish these pages were numbered and they are not but the third panel of the page where han solo is actually revived it's the panel of han after he's been revived now in the movie he falls out of the carbonite block and lands on the floor this panel is very photo referenced except the panels turn sideways, sideways. So instead of landing on the floor he looks like he's leaning and like hugging the wall it's really he looks like fat elvis too he's yeah. like yeah. Actually, looks, really put on some he weight looks more there. like norman osborne to me <laughs> <laughs> i'm telling you dude you look at the panel underneath that where leia is touching his face that's claude akins i swear <laughs> 
but he was kind of Claude Akins in the movie too. So, yeah. But then he's got a little ape man going in the next one. Yeah. He's got a little Wolverine <laughs> work in there in the next one. <laughs> wow. He looks like a Mohican, is what he looks like. Yes. He's, look, he's got a little. Uh, that's funny. And aside from Leia telling him here, someone who loves you, and then later on the command ship saying, I'm not letting you out of my sight, their relationship is completely exercised from this adaptation. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Oh, wow. I didn't... Well, she's been thinking about that general dude throughout this entire, like... Dodonna. <laughs> yeah, Dodonna. General, general Dodonna, yeah. Yep. No, she's with Amalatba. <laughs> Yikes! She, okay, she was... who wants to make the smells like fish joke? Oh man! <laughs> Leia, would you like Aren't to see me? Tra- it's a trap! <laughs> like, there's no, there's no. He's my brother. Scene between Leia and Han. Han doesn't go after her on Endor, mad that she's confined in Luke and not him. Right? right she, she's spoiling all my stuff. She pulls yeah, it. She actually. What the hell's that? She's kind of a groupie for those, you know, for the for the higher ups of the rebellion. And I bet you there was a Akbar train. And like, after Akbar got done, he walked out and he looked at the next guy and he went, "General Nadine." <laughs> <laughs> I got a quick comment going back a little bit earlier when three PO and R two are facing the, you know, I don't know, the asshole droid, the one who uh, <laughs> runs the the droids, the droid slave master, whatever. Uh-huh. He make the droid slave master guy makes a comment. He says that uh, several of our astromechs have disappeared recently. I don't remember that in the film. I haven't checked it recently, but that made me wonder. Uh, I wonder if that was part of Lando's plan was to like get rid of some astromechs to get R two purposefully on the sail barge. To have Ooh, a lot of job it. openings for a good astromech. Maybe I always I always took it for. I always seem to remember. That it was something like that. That there was more of it, and I don't know. Maybe I got it from the novelization, which I haven't read it since I was a kid. But there was some more implication that Jabba maybe chucks astromechs overboard when he gets pissed at him. You know, <laughs> so maybe they've been that or something like that. It's Could totally be. Lando and Chewbacca, and instead of dwarf tossing, Chewbacca was doing astromech tossing. <laughs> he just threw them all, and they broke. <laughs> I can see him holding them by the legs and doing a little spin around and just letting them go. I don't know if Lando thought ahead that they that they would even be going onto the sail barge. Don't know. I just thought it was weird. And am I am I right in saying that that wasn't in the film? It wasn't in the film, no. No, it wasn't. I just thought it was kind of a strange line. So. Yeah. No, you're right. There's there's a there's an untold tales of of Star Wars in there somewhere. Uh huh. <laughs> Now, I had always been trying to remember, and this may be in the novel too, but I was trying to remember if it was in the novel or in the comic book adaptation, the thing about Rancors being, you know, a a creature of legend kind of thing. And it says so right here. It says, uh, uh, Luke Skywalker thought such creatures were legend, hobgoblins uh, to frighten the children of tattooing uh, moisture farmers. So I, I don't know if that's necessarily where I got it from, but it's definitely stated here. And that's one of those things that's always driven me crazy about the EU is the overuse of things that you see in prior Star Wars movies. Because that's the thing I like about Star Wars movies was 
they don't just reuse old stuff for the most part. Every movie you could guarantee you were going to get new vehicles, new monsters, you know, new and exciting locales, that sort of thing. So I, I like the fact that the Rancors in this, Luke battles one, Luke kills one, and then it seems like there have been Rancors in tons of stuff beyond this movie, and that, that's always kind of bugged me a little bit. I, I don't know. I, uh, I think the Rancor, you know, the big, you know, the big page where you finally see him kind of looks like Sloth from the Goonies a little bit there. Yes, yeah, it's, it's the one eye. It's, it's one eye is a little <laughs> yeah, bit. I kind of want, I want him to be wearing a Superman t-shirt right now. It's all I'm saying about that. Actually, I really like this sequence, except when the Rancor dies, they went totally cartoony with his face. It's like, you know, they got this really cool, like, you know... As as you know, as as intricate as they could get, uh, you know the shot of him, and then when he dies, his face—he looks like a lizard almost. It it looks really off to me. I was just at least he cut out is. the crap scene where the Gamorrean, not the Gamorrean guard, his his watch it cries. His rancor keeper crying his eyes out. Yeah. yeah, at least well, they, they also cut out the Gamorrean guard that uh, went down with Luke and got eaten. Uh-huh. Yeah, he's not at all, is he? Oops, that's a good catch. Self. I totally missed that. You are absolutely right. I, I always because uh, I remember all that stuff because I was spoiled by this comic. So all those all those things added to my enjoyment of the movie because it was like, oh, there's a detail that that I didn't know yep. about, you know. And I see. I think that that was purposeful on on Lucasfilm's part and, that uh, there were things that they told them that they could not use. Or I'm I'm often wondering if there are things oh. they just plain left out of the of the material they gave them to adapt. Well, yeah. well, let's let, let's be fair with the Return of the Jedi adaptation. They weren't relying on this to increase word of mouth, you know, recommendations to go see the movie. You know, they there was know, no such thing needed yeah. at that point. Yeah, yeah. I mean, everyone yeah, this was just for Marvel point, to make money. Yeah, well, Marvel no, was probably could... more figuring out how they how many of these they could get printed in time to make sure Cash they didn't in. sell out of them. Yeah, you know, I mean, because that was a problem with with the Star Wars comic is they had to, re- well, I don't know if it was a problem, but they ended up reprinting it a million times. And so this was, they were, pro- you know, this was, I mean, I got mine off a stack. They they had stacks of them out, you know, a week before, cause it was at the, at the newsstand or a bookstore in Watertown. And I saw, you know, it must've come in with the delivery and I saw it there and talked the guy at the stand to selling it to me for extra money. And, uh, but I'll bet you they had a trillion of these out, and I'll bet you they had a quadrillion of the bagged four-issue mm-hmm. things, you know? Weird art note. It, the shot of Han that's, that, where he goes, that doesn't sound too bad. He kind of looks like Bill Bixby turning back from The Incredible Hulk there. With the white mom. eyes. Yeah, totally. I was noticing that. I didn't know if that was just the coloring in my edition or what, but yeah. He's Whoa. Totally got the white eyes. Yes. Yeah. About a couple pages back, before Luke gets dumped in the Rancor pits, there's a picture of Luke there that's like the faces of meth, Luke. It's well, just I, like, <laughs> I'm glad you brought that up. I've been thinking about that exact panel. I was trying to figure out how to bring it up. It's like, on one hand, yeah, he looks totally, like, ass ugly. On the other hand, that's kind of what he looked like by then. Uh, yeah, that's true, but <laughs> that's not how I want to see Luke in my comics. Yeah, he's yeah he's looking a little rough, you know, like maybe he's been riding in a biker gang for a couple years, you know in between <laughs> instead of studying his Jedi craft. I, I kind of liked um, uh, Jabba's translations. 
better in the comic. I mean, there weren't a lot of differences, but some the t- differences that were noticeable. Like he kept calling three PO talk droid. Yes. And, and um, when Han was woken up, there's a bit where uh, he says, you know, uh, what a touching sight. Han, my boy, your taste in companions has improved even if your luck has not. I mean, there's all this in there that wasn't in the film. Uh, well, I like I kinda... that he says Han, my boy, because that's I like a, that's back to the that's back to the old school quadruped job yep. of the hut. You know, Han, Han, my boy. You know, what, what's going on here? So it made me think. I wonder if maybe Java's yeah, lines biped. Biped, well, not quadruped. Quadruped. Yeah, like, I mean, he walked around on his hands and. <laughs> but, but you think about Jabba's lines would have been finalized in post-production because they were subtitled, so they could have been tweaked much longer after all the principal filming was done. So it makes me think that maybe they, you know, they really did have to work from the original scripts for Jabba, which may have changed dramatically later. And I think it kind of works better here. I love the line in Jabba here, which was unfortunately on the movie, where he says, I was killing your kind when being a Jedi meant something. Yeah! That would have been so awesome in the movie. It would have, like, just increased the legend of, like, what Jedi was back then and how mm-hmm. badass Jabba really is. Mm-hmm. Does he not he... say that in the movie? No. No, he does oh, not. He did. Okay. okay. He's, I, I, he's much nicer in the movie. Yeah, but, but I do like the fact that they cut out the scene of him of uh, Luke saying that he acquired these droids in a game of chance and Jabba saying, I hope you did not kill somebody I know. <laughs> um, my next note is is really way, way beyond all this. It's where uh, Boba Fett is flying off the, the sail barge to the skiff, and I'm just wondering, does anybody else agree that uh, this is actually much cooler in this than it is in the movie? You know why? I have that's my exact next note. His this scene is much better. Bofet's death is much better without any sound. Well, not not even so much the death, although I I definitely agree with that. But I, no, because he flies the, the more like Superman here, in the comics. Yeah, he does. Yes, that's yeah. Why. Uh, the, he's, the he's special, straight out like a board. Yes. And, yeah. Well, the special effects of that sequence is another one of those things. Again, I hate to keep busting on the special editions all the time, but it's one of those things I wish they'd fixed because, for one thing, the flame doesn't come out of the back of his of his rocket pack in the right place for him to actually fly off the deck like he does. It's one of those wonky-looking effects that's always driven me nuts with the original Return of the Jedi. I mean, I, I like that they tried to do it. I, I think that that's really cool, and I applaud them for it. It just doesn't look very good. This, however, looks really cool, because he is. He's flying all Superman-style right off of the... Well, the super Flash Gordon's Yeah, that, that frame yeah. is super Flash Gordon-style. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, like one of the Hawkmen or something. Hey, Bailey, i just looking through here at Han, because I see Han on a panel there. Han's eyes continue to have the white circles, and I just realized, oh, that's the Matt Murdock blind <laughs> that's visual the, cue. Right. So that, right. Was obvious, that was intentional, Yeah, what that was. It means he can't see, right? His eyes yeah. are off. <laughs> they're they're so right, turned, they're turned off, right off. <laughs> yep. I, I was impressed with the uh, Luke using the lightsaber on the page right before Boba Fett leaps to his yeah. eventual fate uh it's it's this really neat effect i mean you really get the sense of the action i mean you really can't duplicate you know the the, the yeah. 
I think the it's the way they're both looking scene. at the lightsaber. Like him and Chewie are both looking at the lightsaber as if it's in flight and he's about to catch it. And Chewie, mm -hmm. they're both keeping their eyes on it. And it really gives it... There's a lot of mood. I mean, you can see the wind in Chewie's hair, too, really well. You can see that yeah. there's a breeze blowing and, you can, and it's blowing the clouds in the background. And then Han's looking out into space going, hey, what's going on? Um, am I the only one that thinks Luke Skywalker's plan relies on an awful lot of events happening at the exact right time for him to make no. this work? No, that's that's definitely uh, yeah. You know, there's a comedian that came up with a with a like a skit all about that, and I'm I'm not sure if that's the first time I ever thought of it or not after hearing that, or if I thought about it as a kid. <laughs> Where Jabo is just like, yeah. I just execute him. Yeah, <laughs> we like, we oh, talked about oh, this shit. at college. <laughs> If there's so many things that could have gone wrong with this plan, mm -hmm. well, if that would all... if, if Jabba would have been like execute them, Luke would have been like, "Thank you, Jabba, for executing us right away and not throwing us in the bad old Sarlacc pit." <laughs> right. I'd rather just be I'd rather just be blasted in, in you know execution style in the desert than get fed to the Sarlacc. So yeah, yes, don't throw me you. in the fryer patch. Yeah, yeah exactly. I was about to say, is this is this the Star Wars yep. version of the Tar Baby? I mean, <laughs> exactly. Well, I always figured that like Luke had different plans. Like you know, when he used the Force to get the blaster from that guard and kill Jabba, he probably thought, okay, this is what's going to happen. And having R two with the lightsaber was kind of like in case everything goes to fuck plan. This was his last resort. Yeah, yeah, this, this is the last resort, you know. He, he's trying this a few different ways. I don't think, like, he had an exact diagram of, okay, we're going to go to the pit of Carcoon, this is going to happen, and, you know, Han, you know, when Boba yeah. Fett, well, he, he, he couldn't tell Han what to do because Han was still frozen. But you I, th I think, I think the plan got was specific up to a certain point, and then he's like, all right, well, when the shit hits a fan, you guys know what to do, you know. Princess Leia is like, okay, Luke's, do Luke's whatever, his plan's been sprung time to kill Jabba while nobody's paying attention, you know? And Is there the possibility as well that Luke's manipulating everybody to do what he wants them to do? He could, he could be doing that too. He could be he could be manipulating people in Jabba's, you know, you know, control. Is Yeah, there could be all kinds of people being Jedi oh. fiddlefuckery going on that we didn't <laughs> see. Leia was trying to get Han out of Jabba's palace, and if Jabba hadn't woken up, you know, that might have been the plan, and then maybe yeah. Lando as a guard would have taken the droids out of there. So I think that there was a few different scenarios that were planned for. I don't think that Luke's exact plan was Pit of Carcoon. There's a scene in Heir to the Empire where he's imagining what would have happened had Mara Jade. It's, there's a whole backstory with Mara Jade. She was supposed to be on the sail barge to stop this from happening. But Jabba wouldn't let her on because he thought she was suspicious. But basically, when R2 throws the lightsaber, Mara Jade just catches it and Luke's executed. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm just reading her to the Empire. Yeah, it seems to me that this was Luke's, like, last plan. This was like, all right, if everything effing goes wrong, you know, we, one way or another, R2, give me my lightsaber and let's just get out of this right, thing. Right, I would imagine yeah. the first plan would have involved nobody getting killed at all. <laughs> And and worked backwards from there until they had to blow up an entire sail barge full of aliens. I would have loved to have seen though them planning like talking this out, either like the opening scene to Reservoir Dogs where they're all sitting around a diner, or maybe planning it out like in the Great Muppet Caper. Yeah, B, B. Arthur, B. Arthur's bringing him food and <laughs> yeah, and Chewie's bitching B. about how he hates in the, the Star Wars universe. 
Well, yes, she does. <laughs> yes, she does. All right, all right. Plan A. Uh, Leia gets Han the fuck out of there. Okay. Plan B. <laughs> I kill Jabba. Okay. If Jabba just happens to drop me into a Rancor pit and I kill the Rancor, we're gonna go to Plan C. Why does Why does Luke get to be Mister Black? That's a cool color. I I don't want to be Mr. Mr. Pink. Yeah, I don't want to be, but why are you Mr. Pink? Because you're a fucking pussy, that's why. <laughs> Just take your color. Hey, and you notice at no point in this plane was anyone ever relying on Lando to get the get yeah. on out of there. <laughs> He's too hyped up on it's, the Star Wars equivalent of Colt 45. To, it, in, as a matter of know, fact, they gave gun. Han a blaster, and so they gave Han a blaster when he was still blind and says, here, you help Lando. <laughs> no that's, way, I that's, you that's, fine. that's your job <laughs> no, I can see just fine <laughs> I'm sorry about your penis oh <laughs> ow. oh, sorry Lando <laughs> on the sail barge there's a splash of Luke with his lightsaber getting a blaster out of someone's hand it's between um, the I thought you were blind scene and uh, the droids falling off of the barge that's one of the new splash pages that's not in some of the printings you can tell because Luke's drawn differently too which page is this now? Um, Luke, it's it's a full splash page. Luke's got his lightsaber. It looks like he's he's using it to swat a blaster out of someone's hand. The next page after that is uh, Han and Lando by the Sarlacc pit, and the page before it is the droids walking off of the sail barge. You're you're yeah. talking the the individual yeah, issue, right? Yeah, it's, it's in the it's, it's it's in the individual issue, and it's only in right. some of the reprints. It's not in it's. It, it's I don't think it's super in the paper. Special. No. Oh, it's not in the super special, no. and it's probably not in the paperback then. No, it's no. They the they're exclusive to those four issue minis. Each issue of the mini had one splash, typically like right in the middle of the story. That I got to be honest, most of them were crap. We're you know, I made a shocking together. discovery today when I was digging out my issues for this because I wanted all of this in front of me. I no longer have the four issues. I had them when I was a kid, and I think at some point I must have sold them, but I don't have them anymore. But I remember not liking those because I thought the art looked a little muddy, or you know, the colors and stuff looked muddier. But it was because of those damn pages that they threw in there, and I remember them advertising it and making a big deal about, you know, because the, those four issues got printed well beyond, you know, well after the Super Special was out. So they they're basically reprints. Yeah, and, and that, that they threw an, an extra page in to... there. Yeah, and they threw the the extra page in there as kind of an inducement to get you to buy it. And then when you actually bought the thing and read it, those extra pages not only didn't they add anything to the story, they were by a completely different art team and they looked like shit. So yeah. Well, there were also I some pinups. According according to Comics.org, um, there were also some pinups. Like apparently in the first issue, there was a pinup for Bib Fortuna, Aid to Jabba the Hut by Al yeah. Williamson. Sai Snoodles and the Rebo Band now playing the Throne Room of Jabba the Hutt by Al Williamson. Yeah, I believe there so was Lace one of them was done by Frank Miller too in some in some of those, or maybe more De than one. Definitely an Empire. They're I'm not sure yet. But yeah, there's Salacious Crumb. Then there's an Imperial Shuttle actually by somebody else, Rick Bryant. All you, those are the supposedly pinups. The only the time you see the ghost of Anakin is in the pinup of the fourth issue. Mm. But yeah, those pinups add nothing to the story. You can totally skip them and like there's nothing like it's they're completely out of place. They look out of place too. 
Well, did anybody else notice that evidently Luke has a TARDIS in the palm of his hand? Because in this, he gets shot in the palm instead of in the back of his hand. And when it gives you the shot of the inner workings of his hand, that hole is a hell of a lot deeper than his hand actually could be. Isn't it? <laughs> uh, I just, I didn't think that was depth. I thought that was just charred skin. Oh, okay. Like around it. Oh, I guess that could be. That could That's be. how I perceive. I see what you mean. Yeah, if you if you saw that as like a tunnel going down, then yeah, it's right. really deep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it, I just thought that that was worth noting. That evidently they didn't know. They knew he got shot in the hand, but they didn't know which side of his hand actually got shot. And that looks like it's a more grievous wound than the than the one he received in the movie. Because it basically like was the was the equivalent of you know like scraping your knuckles in the movie it just like tore a little of his fake bionic man skin off yeah. where it's in this it like blows all it was like his it was hand. like the old 6 million dollar man dolls where you could peel back the skin of his hand right. a little bit and see his inner workings <laughs> and, and it looks yeah. like the inner workings are actually the inner workings from his wrist in empire yes they've moved yes. up a little bit yeah and yeah. he doesn't get it fixed he likes it yeah okay it's cool the girls, like when you've got a scab and you just keep picking at it. Yeah, the girls are really impressed. God. Yeah, all two girls in the Star Wars universe. <laughs> <laughs> One of which is his sister. Well, I wanted to bring up uh, Han's little speech as they watch at the end of the issue, uh, or towards the yeah. end of the issue, where they watch the sail barge burning down. Um, that that really caught me by surprise. Han's being all introspective and everything, yeah. and he says, "My my eyes aren't the only thing seeing different, buddy." That was, uh, well, that addresses that... one of Scott's problems with the movie itself, where where Han yes. doesn't really address Luke knowing the for, you know using the Force and demonstrating it in front of him because he was a disbeliever in it. Yeah. And now Luke is actually controlling people's minds and levitating things and and stuff like that. So this is the closest thing to a that uh, an acknowledgement that like I know Scott, you really wanted to hear in the movie. Yes. Yeah, very much so. Well, you know, it, it, it's a granted it's very small, but it's uh, growth for this character, which is, you know, more than just acknowledging Luke as a as, you know, having force abilities and no longer being able to just poo poo the force as some, you know, hocus pocus is the fact that Han Solo, you know, they bring him back and everything and he does a few things in the movie, but Honestly, over the years, I've come to see I don't agree with Harrison Ford that the character should have been offed. But at the same rate, I see what Ford's uh, complaint was, is that the character doesn't really do anything. There's no he growth. Just, here. He just sort of stands around and, and is is himself. You know, what right. I mean? well, I'll totally agree with that, because I watched Jedi again the other night. And it's just like after this scene. Han Solo's just like, hey, everybody, I'm just here to have a good time. How y'all He's doing? Relief, isn't he? I mean, b but you could read that as him being, you know, he's got this, you know, the, the sword of Damocles has been removed from over his head. You know, he doesn't have to worry about Jabba wanting to kill him anymore because Jabba's kind of gone tail up, you know, in the, in, the, in the sands of Tatooine. So, but I always took it that it was just Harrison Ford not taking the role as seriously as he did, say, in Empire, where he had a lot of juicy bits to kind of cling on to as an actor. Yeah. Oh, yeah. In the novel, chapter three of the novel, the first three pages of that chapter is all Han Solo and Luke chatting and Han basically telling him that he's never had somebody who'll do that for him before. 
who'd risk everything for him and it gives him a new outlook on life. And later on, Han argues with the Ewoks for their support. It's a much longer section in the book than it is in the film where they just suddenly say, we're now part of the tribe. In the book, they have to convince the Ewoks to join with them. And Han Solo has a section where he tries to convince them of what the rebellion is and why they should join in. So there's a lot more of this in the novel than there is in either the film or the comic adaptation. Now, wow, that's did really you say, interesting. It, it is. Did, did you say in the in the novel that the James Han Carr novelization, right? He he tells Luke that nobody really ever did anything like that for yeah, him page before. Page fifty three of the novelization. There's. Uh, I mean, I don't want to read the whole thing, so it'll just turn, right. in, turn into a talking book. But there's a conversation between Luke and Han, which is the sandstorm scene that was cut from the film. Uh-huh. I don't know okay. all this dialogue was in the film, right. but essentially. Solo thanks Luke and says that nobody's ever risked their life for me before other than Chewie. I'm, I'm part of something bigger now. I'm no longer so alone. There's a bond of brotherhood is what he actually calls it. And Luke feels really uncomfortable that Han's talking to him like this and just kind of like bats it off in that, oh, shucks, it was nothing kind of way. He says right. um, something like, I figure I left you frozen like that. Just give me bad luck for the rest of my life. So I may as well get you unfrozen. And that's, that's, that scene is really good in the novel because Harrison Ford's right. Han Solo's comedy relief in this film. Yeah, basically he's, he, you know, I mean, he's got some actions to do, but they're not as meaningful as his actions. Right. You know, they're just, they're just stuff to wind up the story, you know? It, well, see, it's funny for me to come to this realization because for a long time, I have to admit, I kind of felt like he was just whining, kind of like I feel sometimes that, you know, the the seven dwarves do in the you know the star original Star Trek series. You know that oh, I didn't get enough screen time. Oh, William Shatner hogs the whole. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, God damn it, you're part of an ensemble cast. What part of that don't you understand? But you know, really, you know, this was my first time watching Jedi all the way through in a long, long time. And when I really pay attention to Han in this movie in a way that I guess I never really did before, I kind of come to agree with Harrison Ford that, yeah, once he's unfrozen, he doesn't really do anything. Harrison you know? Ford's a really good actor. I, yeah. I Just from all the years of watching him, he's got really good instincts, and I could tell he's not an ego. He doesn't seem to be an egomaniacal actor, although some of them are really good too. But he seems to take his take it seriously, you know. So when he's doing Star Wars, he knows, okay, it's a space opera or something. But he took it seriously, and in especially in those first two movies, and it's the same with Alec Guinness, you know. He, he took it on as a role and he took it seriously, and those both added so much to uh, of the believability and depth to the movies, you know. It really, you know, it probably would have really suffered without both of those actors but yeah by by jedi he was probably being he was probably like well my character has not had the attention paid to it that i mean lawrence kasdan who wrote empire is a very strong character writer you know i mean a lot, most, a lot of his stories have been just like character driven stories so he gave and he knew he had Han, harrison ford to 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 work with so he gave harrison ford a pretty meaty you know, I mean, the the story was there for him to write from Lucas, but the way that his romance with Leia plays out is is 
it's it's light and romantic and stuff, but it's still very realistic in a way of two people, you know, hooking up and having a little space hookup. And uh, <laughs> well, and, yeah, and he has nothing in this movie. You know, he he gets to come out of he gets to come out of um, it's it's sort of novelty stuff. Okay, you get to be blind and 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 goofy from being frozen, and and then after that, you're just sort of an action guy you know he's no different actually really than lando in this is as just you know a a sort of action figure going to to solve his part of the plot that's going to wind it all up you know but i mean it's really luke's story at this point you know you really the most important thing is luke and his father at this point that's what everybody was you know chomping it i mean yeah we, we 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 wanted to see Han and and Leia hook back up, but we can just imagine that it's just going to be assumed that they they hook up. So there's really not much for him to do, and and I'm sure he was going through this thought process. I don't know. See, I disagree unlike... though because you know, arguably, Luke, uh, Leia, and Han are the, are the three principles. Now everybody else is in the background. So, like, say Chewbacca, or you know, rather Peter Mayhew. I I wouldn't feel the same way if it were him bitching, saying, "Well, I just didn't have enough to do as Chewbacca." It's like, dude, you're fucking Chewbacca. How much can you know? Can you expect to really be doing in this movie? But you know, like the best Star Trek is when you know Kirk, Spock, McCoy pretty much get, get equal time or equal billing or you know equal FaceTime in a, in one of the movies or one of the episodes. I kind of feel like that in this is that Han really doesn't get the equal or at least not equal in the sense of he's important. You know, Leia gets some great moments. Luke gets a lot of them because like you say, it's, it's largely his story. Han really doesn't. He comes back. And then like you say, he's one of the actioners and that's pretty much it, but he, he doesn't, well, I, I think it all comes full circle to what I said before. There, there's no character growth here. I think that really is, sums up all of what we're saying is there's there's no growth for his character in this movie. That's kind of sad. It's it's a shame well, that well his character I've, growth I've, all happened at the very beginning of the movie and leading right. up to it. And so after that, it's everybody else's character growth, and he's he's all fixed. So there's nothing left to do to with him. The thing with Han though is, I mean, the whole first half, first chunk of the film is about them saving Han. And you're right, he didn't have a lot to do after that. But if he died immediately, every, their, their whole efforts would have been for vain. You know, that whole scene would have been meaningless. Like, oh, we saved Han. Oh, and he died 15 minutes later. Yeah, um, no, he would have had to die on Endor. He would have had to he, die on Endor. Well, I, I just he, he would have to die saving everybody. Right. Yeah. He couldn't just have a wimpy little death. He would have had to. They would have had to change the story so that it wasn't about Luke and Vader. He would it have was about this climactic. He would have had to grab the bomb. Yeah, he would have yeah. had to grab the bomb and jumped into the field of the of the generator for the force field. Well, you see, know? I want to be clear too that I've never, ever, ever been one of these people calling for the death of Han. That's where I split with Harrison Off Ford. With because while I agree with with Ford's complaints, I don't agree that the answer was to kill Lucas Han. Lucas could. All, I think. Ford uh, pushed for that so hard because he just didn't want to go on. I'm going to start this. writing Lucas yeah. to kill him in the 3D edition. <laughs> but <laughs> I'm with Scott. I'm with Scott. I, they shouldn't kill him. It, it needed to end on a high note. I've no. Well, n- that's where I'm going to disagree one more time. Is that I still think that there should have been a death, though. I just Anakin. don't think it should have been. I think it should have been uh, Lando. And I know is- somebody's going to joke and go, "What the one black guy?" But no, that not because he's black, but just because. 
For one thing, I think it would have been redemption for that character, which is another thing this movie desperately mm -hmm. needed that we never, ever got. That always has, to this day, pisses me off that Han comes out of carbon freeze. Now, the last actions he knew of Lando was that Lando betrayed him to the Empire. That's all Han knows. So he doesn't know that Lando, you know, according to Marvel Comics, went on this three-year quest to try to do right, join the Rebellion, find Han, you know, that, that, that Lando became a rebel and an upstanding guy that everybody accepts and likes. The last thing Han knows, this prick betrayed me. So I think that that could have happened at some point in the movie where Lando dies to prove to Han, I'm sorry for what I did to you, you know? I just think that's that a, that was a needed element. That's a I assume that Chewie had filled him in when they were in the cell together, but yeah, it, it was. That's missing. what. That's what I. That's that was my assumption yeah. too. Yeah. I don't know. I think, Landa, 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 I, I think it should have been. I think I really think Han Solo would be the perfect one because it would have to be a major character. Princess Leia would just not work, and Lando's only from the. You know, he's kind of a minor, minor character, and then there would be all. The, you know, I I think there should be a sacrifice that hurt you know it's a it's a war there's there's when the war is over everybody shouldn't be alive it's not realistic right. i mean it's that could too, that could kill two like, birds with one stone is that you you both lose a character and albeit maybe a minor one or a lesser one but at the same rate it could have it could have you know uh, accomplish that task of they took a bloody nose and they didn't just win, you know, yeah, completely the they way they do. A, they wanted a cost. You always win at a cost. But also, know? there could have been a little bit of character growth. Again, the other needed thing in this movie with Han going, or, you know, just Han feeling bad that he gave Lando a lot of shit and in the end, Lando stepped up and look what he did and Han's never going to be able to take it back because now he's dead, you know? I just, I well, just the thing about like the betrayal better. is that's just an emotional thing that Han has to work through because, you know, I mean, you know, we've been over this many times, but Lando never really did Han wrong. He, 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 he damage controlled a, a, a fatal situation into getting just about everybody out alive and doing the and and without planning to, but like also helping Luke. So, so he was, you know, he was just sort of cornered in a rock in a hard place, and and he managed. He was like, okay, how can I work with the Empire so that they think I'm working with them, and still try to, you know. And when the time came, he he, you know, threw a switch, you know, and and turned on the Empire. But he he knew he couldn't do that right away, or they would have just, you know, wiped him out. You know, they would have just thrown him in jail too. So, the other theory I have is Harrison Ford did this as a favor. He's got the Indiana Jones series. He's a huge fan at this point. He doesn't want to piss the boss off, George Lucas, by not doing the third Star Wars film and jeopardizing and piss Indiana half Jones. the country off too. Yeah, <laughs> he that would as be. Well. Very, it would. I mean, his if he was like saying I don't want to do Star Wars, his agent would say, "Look, dude. Yeah, you know, I understand <laughs> how you feel about the whole Star Wars thing." But look, there's little kids who are dependent on you, and there's like, and they're my little kids, and they're hungry. So get to work. Yeah. He also but, knew it would be the last one. Right, right, right. 
Well, I think it's on track. Grabs Harrison Ford by the see, back of the I, head. I, All right. I, see, I disagree with that, though, is I don't know that Harrison Ford was completely convinced that this would be the last one. I think that's a lot of the reason that he was pushing so hard to have Han killed was because he, he wanted, wanted it out. to be the last one. <laughs> yes, he, he was pulling a Leonard Nimoy. I really believe that. Except How George that? would kill him and be just like, we've come up with new technology. It's very easy <laughs> to do Ghost Han Solo. I was going to say, exactly. Like, I mean, how'd that work out for Alec Guinness? Yeah, um, exactly. <laughs> but now, also, Harrison got, Ford didn't a... sign a three-film contract, so he could easily have said no. Well, it's just like he couldn't say no for number the third one. He'd probably be in the same situation for the fourth. But, but I've got an interesting thought here. Um, if you look really? at the comic book adaptation, Harrison Ford has more changed dialogue than anyone else. Uh, he's got the thank you speech later on. There's some stuff about it, the, the uh, Lando's mission. There's the scene with Leia where she gets shot. I know I'm jumping ahead a bit, but Harrison Ford has more changed dialogue than anyone else. And we know on the set of Empire, you know, it was his idea to do the I know line about love. Right. I wonder if Harrison pulled the same thing here where a lot of his he just changed dialogue on the set because he might have. I was, surpri- I was surprised Mark might are different. Yeah, because I mean, like, if I was Richard Marquand and Harrison Ford was on the set, I would I would listen to him. You know, I'm sure Lucas was on the set too. But you know, by that time they were probably like, you know, maybe we should trust his instincts because <laughs> he's been doing pretty good so far. I think a lot of Harrison Ford's instincts that he had probably had to force into play earlier. You know, they 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 did realize that those were. Good, you know they they went on to become some of the touchstones touchstones of his character and the things that people enjoyed the most you know or or the points where he would go to George and go a real human doesn't say this can we say it like this you know yeah. uh, a lot of that dialogue ended up being like the dialogue I think that really stuck in our heads rather than you know some of the very um just sort of comic book exposition dialogue of that George Lucas is famous for. Right. And you can see that in Star Wars and Empire and Jedi, and then you can see other parts where it disappears, and I always chalk that up to the actors and the directors, you know, smoothing out some awkward mouthfuls of syllables. Speaking of awkward mouthfuls of syllables, I'm going to bring this all back around. Um, to the panel we left off at, did anybody notice that uh, R2 and 3PO are just kind of casually walking away instead of buried up to their uh, feet and treads there? Uh, yeah, yeah. Yep. In the movie, I, I, I did, however, love the the bit of dialogue or um, the uh, the narration of when they get bumped when uh, R2 bumps uh, 3PO off of the thing. Where is that? Why can't I find it? Um. There, there follows the clunk of a smaller metal object bumping into a somewhat larger one. No. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because that picture actually looks like 3PO's got a cape on and he's yeah, doing was, a bad was, Superman off. That. <laughs> That's why he's going, yeah. no! no! Right. <laughs> you know, Scott, that panel where they're watching 3PO and R2 coming towards them with the sail barge burning. If you really thought that through, they're all just kind of hanging out in the skiff and the barge hasn't exploded it's just burning so they're right. probably sitting there listening to the screaming of <laughs> you know hundreds of muppets going no as they get cooked alive um so that's that a, i would i would actually like to see that 
I'd like to see that in a in a special edition. Actually, I would, yeah, I would, the, I would pay for the that. The air smells like burning polystyrene foam. <laughs> right. <laughs> Let's see here. Muppets All exploding right. in the air like firecrackers. Some of yeah. them jumped into the pit. To, I just picture the lower levels of the barge filled with like puppeteers running around, going, "Oh my God, we're gonna cook like an oven in here." And Cy Snoodles and her band kept on playing up until the end. Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> they just comes rearranging the deck chairs. They just did a slow, somber version of Lofty Neck. At the uh, <laughs> at the risk of causing yet another giant tangent, I I can't believe I really never thought about this before, and I almost wonder if maybe I'm projecting a little uh, a little prequel. Maybe even a little of the of the current um, um, Star Wars. Uh, oh, damn, what's the name of that Dark Horse series? The uh, Dark, Dark Times. Dark uh, Times. In, yeah, Dark Times. Into this, but it, it occurs to me as I was reading this, and there's the scene here with the Emperor coming to the Death Star and all this, and he says to Vader, "Only together can we turn him to the dark side of the Force." Do you think this was? Uh, the Emperor beginning to express a little bit of doubt uh -huh. about Vader. Uh -huh. I never well, thought about that before. Saying, I don't want you guys that, being alone and unsupervised. Exactly, yes. That scene in the novel and throughout the entire book, Vader's thoughts are expressed a lot more in the novel and certainly more than the comic and the film. And from this scene, Vader's plotting the Emperor's death. His plan is to bring Luke to the dark side with him, for this was his other dream, to reclaim his boy, to show Luke the majesty of the Force, why it was so potent, why he'd chosen rightly to follow his path. His plan is to kill the Emperor. Soon as Luke's over to the dark side, the Emperor's toast. Right. So the Emperor's the right. Emperor knows this. But that's not made clear in the boot whether the Emperor knows this. Because the Emperor's plan is to get rid of Vader right. and Luke. So, the, so the, the rule of two was sort yes. of in existence even then. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. for sure. Well, yeah. It really does tie into the prequels in what must be coincidence. I mean, there's a couple of instances I'll mention later that it doesn't. But there is a lot in this that really does work with the prequels like that, what Shag just said, the rule of two. Both of them are plotting the overthrow of Luke. Later on, Luke plots to kill them both. Yeah. The, well, for me, though, if you look at... Palpatine in the prequels you know Palpatine killed his own master after learning all of his secrets and Palpatine I assume he had apprentices before Darth Maul I can't see him just not having you know because there's always two a master and apprentice so he must have probably must have gone on a search for one but there was, there was there was Darth Hooligan and, and Darth Not So Nice yeah. and, <laughs> and Darth Darth Darth, Darth Soccer Hooligan, Darth Stinky Pants, and right. uh, Darth Soccer right. Hooligan would own Luke Skywalker. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it would just headbutt him to death. Yep, um, headbutt him, beat him with a big crow iron bar. Don't need no lightsaber. Sorry, right. Mike. I totally took it off. No, no, it's cool. But but but. Palpatine knows this, and 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 th there's that theory out there that, you know, people think badly of other people mainly because that's how they would act, you know, you know, right. given the situation being reversed. So Palpatine's got to know that Vader's coming for him, 
in some manner, and especially with it being his son, and you know, you being you still being upset about that Padme, Padamadwe, whatever her name was, thing. <laughs> you know, uh, Palpatine. I love Palpatine as a character mainly because of all of the Star Wars villains. His motives are the most pure. I just want to rule the world. I mean, the galaxy, the universe, whatever. Because it would be fun. It makes <laughs> yeah, me laugh to do it. Exactly. So <laughs> it's this, this, it has to be like, I think that is why Palpatine throughout this book and throughout the movie goes, my friend. Yes. Because it's, it's that little jab, like. He has no trust, friends. I don't trust you no, at well, all. Well, it's like, I think it's like being a, like a politician or, or somebody, people are or, or the, you know, owner of a, or the president of a huge corporation or something, you can't trust everybody's vying for everybody else or a country or a country or whatever. Everybody's, everybody's vying for first place and everybody's looking for the chance to stab everybody in the back, but there's politics involved and Vader and, you know, I mean, all Jedi and I think uh, maybe less so with some of his lesser Sith apprentices, but you know, certainly Vader is smart enough that, and Palpatine knows he's smart enough to know that he knows that he knows that I know that he knows. Good and, God. and so they all, and I think they all just sit around and they plot and they plan and they wait for either their chance to strike or for the other person to strike and show their hand. And then they can, and then it's a, a bet. So there's always going to be, if you're in the dark side of the force, there's always going to be that sort of, and, and then when a third party's thrown into play like Luke, it's like somebody has to die. They all sit there, and, and when Vader and the Emperor talk about it, they talk about Luke dying because they don't want to talk about you know their plans to kill each other. But, but when they're... Luke and Vader get together in a room like an Empire, you know Vader's like, hey, come with me. And I mean, really, in in, Je- in Jedi and with the prequels, you start knowing he wasn't just using that as a trick to play with Luke's emotions. He meant but, but it. Also... He was like, come on, we'll we'll kill the Emperor. But also, how did Vader get his job? He killed his success. Yeah. You know, the, the guy that was in the position before him. That's how they all get and, their job. And, there and was an ad in the space. There was an ad in Space Rolling Stone. There you go. Space list. It's like Craigslist. <laughs> space intern needed. Sith intern needed. Sith seeking Sith. It's a personal section on Craigslist. Yeah. <laughs> 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 the, 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 there's a deleted scene from episode three. Count Dooku awkwardly like steps into you know Palpatine's office. Hey, I saw an ad on uh, Craigslist for yes. Sith seeking Sith. Yeah, so well, um, we're the only two Sith in the galaxy, and there's only <laughs> supposed to be two. And I know I didn't post the ad, so awkward question. Are you looking to replace me? <laughs> What's the story here? Yes. <laughs> Oh, I say we move on in the. I say we. So Yoda, you know. (laughs) Well, wait a minute. Before we get to that, did anyone else notice that they crammed both the arrival of the Emperor scene and then the scene much later, the "What is thy bidding, my master?" scene together into one scene? Yeah, they just got it. It it, it flowed pretty well. Yeah, it does actually. Flowed so well, I didn't even notice. No, I didn't either. Because it doesn't really matter that you you find this out where you find it out, and they were probably right. just like those scenes are several two birds minutes with one stone. Yeah, yeah. That kind of reminds me of the the Batman Forever novelization that Peter David wrote, 
the uh, the whole sequence with Bruce Wayne meaning Edward Nigma was moved to the beginning so that when he sees the bat signal it's when he's going to face off against Two-Face for the first time and it actually flows a lot better I don't know if it would have flowed better in the movie because of all that happened between it but it, but in the comic book it works and it works well I have to read that I need to both read that and see that movie again but uh Josh did you have something on uh Yoda uh, yeah, just that his death scene, he doesn't die. It says, yeah, well, totally. Luke leaves Yoda so Yoda can go to sleep. <laughs> Forever. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, And he doesn't see the figures at the end, so as far as we're concerned, Yoda's alive. Right. It was right. left for you to see it in the movie. They wanted you to well, see it in the movie. That's what I was thinking. That. Good this point. is a point that I wanted to that I wanted to make earlier that, you know, Chris, you remember a, a friend of ours in high school was uh, this kid, David Shell. Uh, yes. David Shell was the son of the pastor where my mom used to drag me to church the every Sunday. Of God, yeah. And David was a huge Star Wars fan. However, never saw the movies, or at least you know when we knew him, never saw them because he was not allowed to go to the movies. Or I'm trying to remember what the, his family, <laughs> his father's reasoning was. He was certain movies, but he know. wasn't allowed to see Star Wars. And the, the reason was was that these were huge blockbuster movies that poured millions and millions of dollars into the film industry, and the film industry supports pornography, so he was not allowed to basically support the film industry. I, I'm just telling you as I heard it. Right, right. And so somebody like him, who would only get his Star Wars from, say, like the comics, man, he really would get ripped off and actually be quite confused, I would think, going straight from, say, this adaptation to where we're going to go on Star Wars Monthly Monday with the post-Jedi material because it does references, you know, well, things he was like also, he was a, stuff, but you don't see that in he, what Marvel actually gave right. you. But he, but you got to remember, there were he was an avid reader, too, so he probably, the Star right, Wars right. fans would read... They, they knew with this comic... That the people would read the comic, but they were. It was assumed that everybody's go. But at this point, everybody in America was pretty see, much going to go to that's see this the thing movie. Thing is, you can't do that. You can't assume that. You know, I think that's you, you almost could with this not movie. An for me to go on in some crazy tangent about the current state of comics, but you know, Michael and, and I, uh, you know, have both said many times that that's part of the reason with say like dc just as an example with some of what they're doing right now is that they go on the assumption that you know everything that's going on in every book and if you don't you're completely lost well i think they were but, counting on people were going to see the movie before they were going to see the comic and right but know, that's what i'm saying is is that is that an assumption it that the comic, it's because the comic and people because we knew one that we're not going to be able to see the movie so right. you're not really getting the whole story from this comic so it's not truly doing what it's supposed to be doing which is adapting the film it really isn't because you're you're there's vast right. things in here you're not going to get well that's what, what the point i was trying to, uh, get, to make earlier that it was more of almost like uh a piece of merchandising or publi yes. publicity yeah. than than yeah than a really well thought out comic adap adaptation, you know. It was, Maybe they just wanted to keep Yoda's death a secret. Well, uh, yeah, a lot of the, a lot of it, you know, it might have had to do with Lucasfilm said we don't want you to show Yoda dying, and they said, okay, where can we, how can we cut this to make it still flow? You know, it might have been a lot of damage control. There might have been certain right. things that Lucas was like, we don't want people to see this till they go to the movies, you know. 
But see, that that would be one of the, the major, major reasons why I think the, the first one is always going to be my favorite, is that, granted, the art might be better and, and more consistent in, say, the Empire adaptation. However, that's where this started, was with the Empire adaptation, with leaving things out. Star Wars... For all its wonkiness, well, they didn't know. It was not Star only did they Wars. not leave anything out, they actually threw in a bunch more because shit than what you know. got in the movie. But well, granted, they didn't know. But I mean, I can't think of. Maybe I'm talking completely out of my ass here, but off the top of my okay. head, I can't think of any major reveals or anything considered. You know, you could consider remotely spoilerific that happens in the original Star Wars that's not in the ad adaptation. I think that's the difference. Is that this is more of we need to have a comic on the stands because we'll sell it rather than we need to have a comic out there that actually tells the story. And because it's not, it sort of is, but with there being huge chunks of the story left out by mandate, then it's not really telling you the complete story. The Yoda scene does have one interesting addition that isn't in the film, but it is in the book. Yoda's line on the third panel on that page where he doesn't die. Um, unfortunate that you rushed to face him. They're not ready for the burden, were you? Obi-Wan would have told you long ago yes. had I let him. You've got mm -hmm. a line, a dialogue there that exonerates mostly Obi-Wan. Because if he's yes. following Yoda's destru destructions, instructions not to tell Luke, suddenly he's not a lying cocksucker. Suddenly right. he's following <laughs> his Jedi master. Now, now it's Yoda who's, uh, yeah. Yes. But Yoda is prepared to take that burden. He was the Jedi Master at the time. It was his decision. And I can buy that a lot more than Obi-Wan lying to Luke's face. Yoda never had to do that. So I, I, I like that additional line. May I just point out that I've never in my life heard an Englishman say cocksucker before. Oh, and I'm that's sure a fantastic swear word. <laughs> It's up there with Foot Nugget as a classic. Yeah. <laughs> but no, I now completely I... agree with you because I had. Oh, I'm sorry, Mike. Go ahead. I just, I just wanted to hear him say "cunt." <laughs> I, just, I have to make sure there's no children around. It, it only <laughs> that word only comes out, comes out well with a out of a British or Irish accented mouth. Scottish do that one bet well. Actually, Scott... the, the Australians do too. Yeah, I prefer twat personally, but that's yes. just me. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I, I had the same note. Um, most of my notes are actually from this part because I think between what we're given in this adaptation and the novel, I think mm. the Yoda Kenobi scene sheds a lot of light on what I consider to be an altered premise of Anakin Skywalker and the whole... Yeah uh before time you know what i mean before what we got in star wars because as much as i like the prequels i really do and i'm glad that you uh <laughs> recently said the same thing on one of your shows andrew that uh you know that you're you consider yourself something of an apologist for the prequels I i've come to just stop bucking the system and just accept that label i'll, I'll be a prequel apologist because i do enjoy them i enjoy them I think that there was a lot of uh, of tinkering and a lot of changed premise between what we're given here and we're given in the movie and what we eventually saw. And I see, yeah. I think, I see a lot of that in this dialogue that ended up being changed or altered or whatever from what actually wound up on the screen. You know, the whole well, the Obi Ben scene. Sorry. Yeah. No, no. Yeah. What you said here about 
you know, Obi-Wan basically being exonerated by Yoda. Actually, this isn't part of it. I also noticed that Yoda said, uh, says the word fear. He says, I fear, uh, fear for you, I do. And I was like, wait a minute, what happened to the whole fear leads to anger, anger leads to hate, (laughs) you know? Well, the Ben scene carries on from this in the book, and he goes into great detail. Page 64 of the novel, for all those people who are interested in this, um, he talks about fighting with him and him falling into the molten pit and his father clawed his way out of the fiery pool. That was all in a 1980 Rolling Stone interview that Lucas gave, so there's nothing new there. But there's a brilliant bit on page 66. Ben continued his narrative. When your father left, he didn't know your mother was pregnant. Your mother and I knew he would find out eventually, but we wanted to keep you both safe for as long as possible. So I took you to live with my brother, Owen, on Tatooine. And your mother took Leia to live with the daughter of Senator Organa on Alderaan. No one knew she'd been adopted, but it was a title without real power since Alderaan had long become a democracy. Now, if no one knows Leia's been adopted, which flies in the face of the prequels, but we'll ignore that for a minute. When Luke at the end says, what do you remember of your real mum? What if Leia didn't know? That's a really dickish thing for him to say if she didn't know she was adopted. That may not know. That, that's a good point, but to me, that that not only does it fly in the fra- the face of prequel um, stuff that would come later on, but I think that that was another one of those things you can chalk up to the on again, off again nature of Bale Antilles bash uh, slash Bale Organa, because I know that that was one of those ongoing things when when we were growing up and reading Star Wars was that it seemed like they kept tinkering with that character. And could never quite pin him down. Right. And mm. so, it, because I can remember, I, you know, I've tried to track down the origins of this and I've just completely failed. But I know that there was a time where it was Bale Antilles was her father, yet she was Leia Organa uh, with a completely different last name. So you knew yeah. right off the bat that something was funny there that she was not his yeah, daughter. Apparently. Well, like yeah. You had Wedge Antilles and you had Captain right. Antilles being mentioned and all this. Right. So, And it was a, well, just a inter- giant mess. My interest there was the line that Ben's brother, Owen. Right. Yes. Uh, Up until Owen Attack Mark. of the Clones, that was continuity. Yeah. Right. yeah. Well, yeah. it's still in the like official that novel. I don't it, it was in... Because actually reads these. It was in, like, all the biography books and all the chronology stuff um, and expanded material until Attack of the Clones. Right, well, because James Caan must have got this from somewhere. So do you think that was in the script originally? I would guess. Or, or you know, some some notes that he got or something. I was going to say, I mean, he probably had scripts and outlines right. and stuff like that. And... I mean, are you if you're asking, do you think this is just something the author threw in there on his own initial? I doubt it very much. Yeah. See, I'm with you, though. I, that's a very big reveal for an yes. author to just make up. Right. So the question there is, well, why did George change his mind on that? Because that makes sense. Yeah. In the sense that Vader wouldn't go looking for Obi-Wan's uncle. He doesn't give a rat's brother, sorry. I don't think he he changed his mind. I I think he just didn't remember. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's possible. My guess on that, my gut feeling on that would be that he didn't want to have to deal. See, this is kind of my problem with the prequels as a whole when it comes to some of these questions that we'll never really know the answers to is that because you get a freaking 45-minute speeder chase in the beginning of Attack of the Clones. It shorts the rest of the movie on addressing other issues I really wish they had, one of the huge ones being Owen Lars. 
And we never really get the understanding of what the hell was Owen's beef with Anakin and with Obi-Wan Kenobi. It's never explored. And that was one of the one, it was one of the huge things I really wanted from those movies and didn't get. There's a yeah, whole story if it's there Ben's somewhere. brother and he just short rocks up and drops a kid in his lap and buggers off to right. his party lifestyle on his own while he's stuck right. with this child. There's a reason for him to not like him. Yeah, I agree with that totally. Right. Yeah. And that's the story I really would like. And see, I, li- I don't know about you guys, but I like the whole Owen as Ben's brother thing a whole yeah. lot more than Owen oh, as yeah. uh, uh, brother. I, I just do. Oh, Maybe because oh. it was original and that's where I came in. But that's I just like that better. But then that adds that much more mystery to that untold story is I all right, now they're brothers now I really want to know the story of why is Owen so mad at his own brother? So, well, and, and we're just never going to get it. Two things on that. One, if he's Ben's brother, that line, you know, he's got too much of his father in him. And Owen says, that's what I'm afraid of. Mm-hmm. To me, that always kind of implied that everybody knew that Anakin Skywalker was Darth Vader. It was Darth Vader, Yes. Uh, even though it's it, you know it, it's it's played with really fast and loose uh, through you know until Jedi when we get that that bullshit line from from uh, Ben Kenobi that proves that my my wife's family is descended uh, from from the Kenobis because she's always getting me on technicalities and things as well, well you know that that whole that whole from a certain point of view I always want to loop to kind of turn around and go what the fuck are you talking about right a certain point of view <laughs> you lied to me asshole mm-hmm. you said Vader betrayed and murdered my father your father was seduced by the dark side of the force he ceased to be Anakin Skywalker and became Darth Vader so what I told you was true from a certain point of view. A certain point of view? Luke, I know you think you can't trust me That I'm a liar you just shouldn't believe But please know it's all true From a certain point of view You said your name was Ben! Well, it's Obi-Wan! You said my dad was killed! Close, now ain't this fun Cause technically it's true from a certain point of view. Point of view? Point of view! And I'm not the only Jedi who's screwing with you! Yes, who? Yoda, not you! The last of the Jedi, I said you were but I Wasn't totally straight about your fate, in fact some say I lied Because Leia is one too, it's true from a certain point of view. And that first time when we met. He's weird, you thought I bet. Why wouldn't I? You're two foot five. But a master nonetheless. Because I can be tall too. It's true. From a certain point of view. So you see, Luke, it all depends on how you look at things. Well, could you at least tell me if Leia's my sister? I kind of have a lot riding on it. Yoda, my friend. Oh, no. After you, Obi-Wan. Did we forget to mention... The answer to your question, yes, it's true, from a certain point of view. Could you be a little bit more specific, because we kind of made out. Ooh, sorry. Uh, yes, she's totally your sister. Mm, sorry about that, I am. But if no, I mean, Luke does just need to put his finger up and go, I'm going to I'm gonna have to call bullshit right <laughs> well, there. Well, I'll say sorry. this, I always get the vibe of sort of like 
Space Amish off Brew and Owen. You know, they have a very sparse... Yeah, they, they live very sparsely. They're farmers. They live a simple life. An adventure... Han Solo helps them build a barn. <laughs> with robot helpers, you know, space right. Amish with robots. But... Right, but they, you know, they, they're, they're sort of, you know, we're simple people. Life is a, you know, is, you know, the searching adventure and fighting and battling and killing and, and all that is no real life for... I always got that sort of vibe from him and, you know, you know, why is he going to go off and and get himself killed, you know, for some war that he should be worried about crops. That's what life is all about. That's what I got from Uncle Owen. But if he is, you know, Anakin's, you know, half-brother or however you want to call it, that, step-brother, I yeah, guess, that's right. this way. Um, if he's Anakin's step-brother, Anakin showed up, <laughs> was a Jedi, which I think makes most of the people of Tatooine kind of nervous to begin with. Yeah, because Walter was good, wasn't he? Yeah. But also, you know, he comes back with with his mother from saving, you know, she's dead, but, you know, he took her from a bunch of sand people. Sand people are feared. It took his father's, they took his father's legs. This guy comes back without a scratch on him and a laser sword. So something happened there and he's probably put two to do two and two together and went oh my god he killed a bunch of people so that makes the line he's got too much of his father in him make sense as well so really in a weird way they both work hmm i guess so he might have just got a bad vibe off him too yeah it's just like might god, just, uh, i don't like that guy look at look at his hair and he's with that God, his girlfriend is so much hotter than my girlfriend. He's, yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah. he seems like a nice enough guy, but yeah, he's trouble. I can't, I can't put my finger on it. Well, when the pretty There's boy a... shows up, I mean, you automatically distrust him. There's an Obi Wan Kenobi uh, young adult novel from uh, sometime around Phantom Menace, where like young Obi Wan Kenobi's thinking about his brother Owen, as opposed oh, really? to an Obi Wan Kenobi uh, adult novel. Right, yeah, where where he's thinking about uh, you know girls. It's OBGYN Kenobi in that one. <laughs> Obi Wank Kenobi. <laughs> and um, and I think it's the um the the Marvel Super Size Special Edition because I don't have it in front of me. But like the Ghost Obi Wan, he's kind of transparent in like the smaller versions, but in the larger one, he's colored and he sparkles. Yeah, he's just like a, a twilight vampire. Yeah, I was about time. to say someone needs to <laughs> someone needs to shove a fucking stake in his heart right now. He's like, got the hot glow. It was a really weird change because, like, in Dark Horse, you know, they changed lots of things. But these Marvel versions, aside from small coloring things, they're mostly the same. But with Ghost Obi-Wan, for some reason, they're like, yeah, you know, in, in, in the big Marvel version, let's color him. Make him sparkle. These are going to be large pages, people. Something that that did bother me a little bit in this scene, uh, some uh, some dialogue that was left out, was when... Kenobi, you know, when Luke first says, why didn't you tell me? His answer was, I was going to tell you when you uh, completed your training. I would think that that would piss Luke off even more because it's basically like, well, I wanted to wait until the indoctrination was was good and made sure it had taken before we could, you know, tell you to, you know, because we wanted to assure that you were going to carry on with the mission that we set out for you, you know? 
Well, uh, they say that his training's complete when he when he kills Darth Vader. So translation: Oh, I wasn't going to tell you he was your father until you already until murdered you him. Killed you killed him. him. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, that guy you killed. Um, and I wasn't going to tell you that Leia was your sister until after you had slept with her too. So. <laughs> right, totally. Five, six kids, yeah. So you were living in that trailer on uh, on Tatooine with your five or six brats. Yeah, Obi Wan <laughs> shows up and he's like, "Oh, I knew there was something I was oh, supposed to yeah, tell you." Right. Oh, the, the, wait, 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 wait! You didn't talk to her, did you, dude? Oh Look, God, I, I trust stuff. your feelings. I did trust my feelings. <laughs> you two didn't. You two didn't. Oh no way! It's like that college humor sketch of. Marty McFly and his mother in the car and she says it feels kind of wrong and I really like that and they, and they cut to Doc Brown going you had sex with her <laughs> <laughs> again and speaking of things that I, I like better in this version than, than what we would get later on with, uh, with changes and such I still like that he says that he met Anakin during the Clone Wars it's another one of those things that that led to my just always having the idea that Kenobi and and Anakin Skywalker were closer in age. They were much more like buddies yeah. than you know student and master. You know what I mean? I, I know that clearly Kenobi was the was the instructor here, but I just always I don't know why I, I can't put my finger on it other than this is a little another little clue as to what made me feel that way. But just. Well, you know, I, I thought that as well. Or then clearly I, he was not a child. I thought that as well that they were the same age, like the Starsky and Hutch of Jedidom. Yeah. And that's right. why <laughs> he screwed up because he was pretty much the same age as Anakin. He sure, wasn't sure capable enough to teach. Yes, that would be fantastic. <laughs> he wasn't mature enough to teach Anakin. Right. And that always worked better for me in my head than what we got in the prequels. and Because I think it was you, Scott, on the Phantom Menace commentary you did, where you said one change to Phantom Menace, you take Obi-Wan be the one who finds Anakin. And suddenly the whole saga just makes more sense. Right. But yeah, in my head as a child, they were of a similar age, buddy-buddy Jedi cop type of thing. And that's right. why he failed training him. Right, exactly. I always envisioned it more like... Uh... All right, this is going to seem like a pretty crazy analogy, but see if you can <laughs> go with me on this. Like in the in the second Hercules miniseries that Marvel did, you know, Hercules had this this friend of his, it was a really good friend who was like the top soldier guy, and they buddied around. So you had like this god who was like the the big badass guy that the, this army relied on, and then like his best friend was was like the top general guy. I kind of saw like Obi-Wan and Anakin having a relationship like that. Like here was the Jedi Knight and his best buddy who was like the, the top pilot kind of guy. And when they became really good friends, you know, the, the Jedi decides, well, you know, I'm going to take you under my wing as, as my good buddy, my best friend, and I'm going to teach you this Jedi shit myself. That's always kind of how I saw their relationship. Not that it was a little kid who could fly pod racers really good. That shit, that shit still drives me crazy. I just, I like this better. And I especially like it that that this was a friendship forged in during a war, you know, because those are those are serious relationships. You know what I mean? Those are serious, dire times in which to forge that kind of a relationship. I just like the term "forge a relationship." That I was just like, well, because it does. I mean, you know, the a, a war. I don't know. I'm going to just move on. Many <laughs> many relationships are forged during war. 
Right, forged yeah. in the furnace of war. A forced. Forged in the foxhole when he just couldn't say no. Or oh, forced in the foxhole. My next note was, chapter three, mission to Endor, all these ships look yeah. awesome. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that splash crap. bird is brilliant, yeah. That yeah. is just fantastic. And I like that they're obviously taking this entire scene from stills. Yeah. Like, the, the next few pages are all, like, right out of the freaking movie. Yeah. Uh, except except Barbie doll Luke when he walks in. Uh, <laughs> he looks. Why does he look so young in that picture? Uh, he looks like, Ken, <laughs> thanks for showing up, but... Uh, it, it's kind of funny because, again, we, we were saying that the faces look funny. I mean, you had Han Solo looking different in five panels on the same page. And yet, Admiral Akbar looks great throughout the entire comic. That's one of my notes. <laughs> Akbar looks amazing. He must have loved I mean, drawing yeah. Admiral Akbar. Yeah. He must have been like a shrimp creature. I'm, a, I'm on it. But uh, yeah. General, <laughs> May, but General Maydeen looks like freaking General Maydeen. So. Yep. It's just all over the place. But this entire scene, I think my only real disappointment is that you lose all of the emotional underpinning of the scene between Lando and Han saying goodbye mm -hmm. and just having it in two panels. Because in the movie, it's this great scene where Han's like, take it. And then it's like, oh, crap. I actually said that, didn't I? Did I say that? Yeah, let me add yeah. the addendums to that. Yeah. There's an awkwardness to Han, clearly, there. Well, it's um, also, in some of the other stuff, you get Han and Lando. I mentioned earlier that Han's dialogue's different. He doesn't acknowledge that he was asked. He doesn't say anything like, who said I wasn't asked about the, the space mission? He just makes a comment about the Death Star instead. Right. Go ahead, Mike. You were on to something, though. Sorry, yeah, and... Uh, I actually have to think that, oddly enough, as much as the, the, the truncating of the Han-Lando scene doesn't work for me, I like that you get all of the great dialogue from, you know, come on, Luke, you're just jittery. Okay, let's keep our distance, Chewie, without looking like we're keeping our distance. You know, fly casual. <laughs> That's one of my favorite scenes in the entire in the entire movie, so I'm glad it was here in the comic. Did many boffins not die in the comic to bring them this information? <laughs> uh, on on the Spice page, there's something about boffins because they yeah. they they take some of Mon Mothma's uh, speech. There. Oh yeah, data by trusted boffin spies, and so they all died. When we were in college, we used to come up with different toys that George Lucas could come up with, and one of us dead came up with boffins. dead boffin spies. <laughs> Actually, have you seen the have you seen the one somebody mocked up of, of a charred skeleton inside a Star Wars blister pack? <laughs> yes. yes. Yeah, we came up with that one as well. We we just got ridiculous with it. We came up with the idea of a George Lucas figure sat on a little tiny camera and you could put all your action figures in front of that figure. That would be <laughs> awesome. You British people have too much time on your hands. Yeah, and then you have then you have like a students do. Then you have the Star Wars editing deck playset where the yes. where the editors can save the movie afterwards. Deck. Yeah. Well, and the beauty is you can keep using that playset for years. Yes. Because he just keeps editing the same movies. He over just keeps and over he just keeps making new pieces for it that go in. It's yeah, like, you have to buy new heads for George Lucas yes. as he gets grayer. 
Yes, I, put, I, and, I, the, and the I, neck gets I, bigger. Every time he puts on 15 pounds, you get a new little a, a, a little sleeve that fits over the last one that makes it a little thicker. And you thicker. can buy different shirts, different Smallville Clark Kent shirts. Actually, actually he probably would make his fi figures slimmer and slimmer as time went on and as, as he got fatter and fatter. If he had the choice, sure. Yes, he does. True. Uh, splash page of the issue is uh, Han punching the scout trooper in the face saying, Blast it. That's the, which isn't in the other editions. Is it any good? Uh, I like it, but it's it, it does look out of place. I think just before the Ewok village, it, there's a hilarious shot of when they get caught up in the net and Luke's arm and leg are sticking out and he's got this like, it almost looks like a goofy grin on his face. He's just like, whoa! <laughs> You're absolutely right. It's, it's just very cartoony. The, the, um, the speeder bike chase looks like it was done by Ron Friends. Yeah. Yes. I like yeah. that. I like that they did it short and sweet in this because you're not gonna do the speeder yeah. bike chase justice in a comic book, and they didn't try. And they and, and once again, I think they left it for the movie to to be a big. Because if you'd, if you see it in the comic, it would be like, oh, okay, it's just a little blah blah blah, and then when you see it in the movie, then it's a set piece, you know. Yeah, and Leia's whole uh, section comes out of it. Yeah, she yeah. doesn't meet Wicket at all in this. Uh -uh. Yeah, poor, poor Warwick Davis. The uh, mm. the two my two notes on the uh, on the speeder chase is wow that doesn't look as good in the comic as it did in the movie, and two when Luke is deflecting the blaster fire, doesn't it look like he's grabbing the other end of the lightsaber off panel? I think that every time, yes, yes, it <laughs> Just does. Like, ah! oh, oh shit! That was my human hand too. <laughs> <laughs> he looks. That looks like a very Tron-like. It looks like he's in a light cycle there, actually. Yeah, with the helmet. Yeah. Yeah. It now, looks like his light cycle is getting ready to res up. The uh, the shot of Han Solo though, when he goes proper, they were trying to go for what Harrison Ford looked like in that scene, because you can kind of see that look he got on his face. Yes, but he looks yeah, more he like Wolverine again. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> now, the R on those two pages and the next two pages, am I crazy in thinking that th it looks like there's some um, Dave Stevens in there somewhere? It, it does, doesn't it? It's the way it's inked and yeah. yes, it, the detail, yes. And, and Which which pages are we looking at? The the one where they're caught up in the net and where they first go into the Ewok village. It, it totally takes on a whole different style. It looks more like the modern Star Wars comics that Dark Horse does, actually. Yes. Yeah. The way it's colored and inked and drawn. Well, there's a separate guy credited. I mean, is, could this be the Carlos Garzon pages? It could be. But yeah, I'm thinking that there actually is probably more people involved in this comic than are actually And then credited. whoever's inking it is who, what gave it that whole unified look that these two pages yeah. have. Yeah. So who, but, I mean, uh, that, one, that one panel where Han's hanging by the ropes and they're lighting the fire, I mean, I really like Han's expression. It doesn't look exactly like Harrison Ford, but it just looks like a cool comic book panel for the yes. what's yeah. going on it's really nice now we're pretty much caught up to my next note which is i could be dead wrong about this but i'm almost positive that the word ewok is never spoken in return of the jedi yet that's what leia calls them in this scene here because like uh josh pointed out you know they uh they completely left out uh leia meeting wicket 
in this adaptation. So she kind of fills us in on where she's been since uh, the speeder chase. She says, one of these little folks, the Ewoks, found me uh, after my run-in with the Imperials. I guess uh, he was impressed since the Ewoks don't like them either. So she both gives us the names of the characters, you know, the species, but also motivation, which is another thing we never really get in the movie. We never really get the motivation for why the hell do the Ewoks join the I always figured the 3PO telling the story was like the big turning point in the movie for them. When they heard the story, they were like, yes, we'll join your the rebellion, you know? In the boot, they follow up from that. That bit's in the boot. Right, they have to but go then, through a whole tribal process of... Yeah, and the three of them, Han Solo, Luke, and Leia, put the case forward for why the rebellion should they should join the rebellion and it's wicket who convinces them that this is a good thing he has a, a two-page monologue about why the honorable elders should join the rebellion see i had completely forgotten i knew i really really need to need, uh, I read, read that novel I again I exactly i haven't read it since empire uh, it was new in theaters but uh that's again something i think that the movie could have benefited from because uh i have always thought you know, whatever happened to 3PO, you know, he admitted in the very first movie that he was not a very good storyteller. So all of a sudden he's a good enough storyteller that he can bring an entire species into a fight that's not theirs. Well, it's character development. See, no, I'm I, just I, joking. I have, this, <laughs> I have this vague memory that I've kind of always had and never really thought about it until we had this conversation that the the Imperials were fucking with the Ewoks. And that's why they so easily joined up. But I don't know where that literally in general sense would have no uh, well, that uh, always happens no you know organization. now that you say from. that yeah now that you say that you just yeah you 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 tickled the memory that i wish i could i could back you up because it seems like i've heard that too that they were not necessarily enslaving them like they did with the wookies because you know let's well, they face were definitely it you know, they, building they couldn't reach up there. on top of a counter but yeah that, there was something maybe it was just the fact that these people came down you know, and and just started messing them about in the Ewoks' backyard. Oh you yeah, know? you could see some stormtroopers just picking off an Ewok in the trees. You know, just for the fun <laughs> of it. You know, God knows it's like that Battlefront. It's like that game, uh, Star Wars Battlefront. Uh, yeah, I think it's Battlefront yeah. Two, oh, where yeah. you can actually shoot the Ewoks. Well, there's an episode of the Ewoks animated series where it shows you how the Empire found Endor and chose it as their site for the shield generator. And I think that they had a run in with the Ewoks there. Yeah. I think you're right. Let's see. Moving right along here. Leia and 3PO continue to call Han Captain well beyond the fact that he's been promoted to a general in this story, which kind of irritated me a little bit. He didn't really earn the title. They do it just to piss him off, yeah. <laughs> just to piss me off. Um, all right, after the scene with Luke and Leia, which, by the way, does not end with Han walking up and going, hey, what was that all about? It just ends nope. with Luke leaving. God, um, the art's good in these pages. It's I mean, yeah, beautiful. It's Luke's beautiful. face, when it, when like half his face is in shadow, that mm-hmm. is what Luke looks like to me, in my yes. mind. And, you know, drawn, illustrated Luke looks like that. Yes, I agree. Mm-hmm. Well, the, well the, the, the book, again, expands on the Luke Leia stuff quite a lot. Where Leia remembers her mum. Yes. <laughs> I knew it. I knew it. If I remember the book properly, I think she gives him a handy before he goes off to face Darth Vader. <laughs> right, just yeah, to take the edge off. She reaches his lightsaber and misses. Right. <laughs> anyway. That, that panel at the bottom 
of, and, and again, I apologize to those that don't have the super special, but at the end of the Luke and Leia stuff, the panel at the bottom that introduces the scene with uh, Luke surrendering to Darth Vader, that's a Ralph McQuarrie painting brought into this book. I, I remember that very specifically. I just remembered that looking at the panel. My note on the uh, panel actually was, the caption itself says, Morning, an Imperial Walker, blah, blah, blah. No, it's not morning. That was a night scene. That's one of the right. reasons I always loved that scene. It's one of my favorite scenes well, in all okay, it's, the, it's How about it's this? It's 4 a.m. Okay, all right, well, I'll buy that. 4 a.m. <laughs> time, which means it's like, what, 6 o'clock? Uh, never mind. No, it, can be, it can be dark and still morning. And Leyland time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, what did Luke do all night? Walked. Woods. Masturbated. Yeah, there you go. Over his sister. sister. Yeah. Well, you know, and <laughs> with his he, robot hand, because it doesn't just, feel like it. It's called the stranger. <laughs> Ooh, stranger. He's giving yourself oh, a stranger. Yeah. He surrendered, and they had to call Darth Vader from Executor, so he had to leave his meditation chamber. And then, you know, you know how long it is to get on those Imperial shuttles. You have to go through all those security checkpoints and get your passport ready when you're, you know, going to a moon and. You know, then then they had the, the, then there was delays on the flight, and then you know he had to land and get off and get his luggage. It's they had to pass through Atlanta. Well, he, he yeah, had, he, he had, had to explain what his lightsaber was to you know, <laughs> customs. And... He had more than three ounces of Bacta on him, and that just totally. <laughs> uh, Scott, I, I hate to tell you, that's not mine. That was actually the beginning of the "It's a Trap" Family Guy special when. Oh Jesus Darth Christ. Christ. Ah, ah, together with it does not reference episode, uh, uh, Family Guy. But but Stewie comes out as Darth Vader and goes, could you believe we still had to go through Atlanta? <laughs> Jesus Christ. It's funny. <laughs> it was funny. <laughs> I still hate it, though. <laughs> All right. I deserve to relax, too. <laughs> Okay, I'm gonna. I got something. I'm, I'm sort of jumping ahead, but I'm sort of not. It's it's a it's a Star Wars thing in general. Return of the Jedi, not necessarily specific to the comic. Luke leaves the the camp at this point, right? The Ewok camp. Leia and Han have no idea what happens to him after this point. Right. But the but the end of the film, they still say, and it's not in the comic. That's kind of why I can't bring it up later because that scene's actually left out of the comic. But they're looking up at the stars, and she said, you know, or, or the. Death Star blowing up, and Han goes, I'm sure Luke wasn't on that thing, or I'm sure he got off, or whatever she says. It's like, why would you even think he's there? Well, he said he's going to confront Vader, so I'm guessing that they're assuming that Vader's on the Death Star. It's a big leap the... of logic. Well, if they know that the Emperor's on there, and they, so, like, you got to figure that high Imperial command, it's, it's not a big leap in logic. Well, you know, even if it wasn't even if they weren't sure he was on there, there would still be a suspicion that he might be up. When they saw it blow up, you know, it was probably what happened is they saw it blow up and that both made them think of Luke, you know, at the same time. I wonder what happened to Luke. Oh, I hope he one. wasn't there. Yeah, exactly. He's blowing up the Death Star has a strong connect. Uh, Death Star blowing up has a strong visual connection to Luke Skywalker. So, well, well my big note in this whole thing comes all the way in the you know during the battle over overhead of uh of endor with uh they blow the one awesome akbar line he just says a trap yes yeah i had a note on that too just a trap. well there's no way they would have known 
How important that line would become to all of us. Yes, yes. At the wrap-up of the scene between Luke and Vader, and Luke, uh, excuse me, Vader ignites Luke's lightsaber, and it's the wrong color in both of the editions that I oh, have. Oh, good Completely catch. different printings. Um, let's see. Vader so, are we, calls are... Kenobi Ben, which he never does. In, in all seven ever. of the movies, he yes. never calls him Ben, you ever. Don't, you figure by the time Kenobi started going under the name Ben, I figured that was his in-hiding-on-tattooing name. Or maybe I his pre-Jedi name. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, either his given name his or, or ben, a pseudonym. Ben something. Franklin or something, and then they said, no, you're Obi-Wan Kenobi from now on. Yeah. Okay, quick question from the group. That shot of the Emperor on the page after <clears throat> Akbar goes a trap that you've got the the panel of the stormtroopers taking Han and the rest prisoner and then you have the emperor doesn't he look like Freddy Krueger right there <laughs> yes totally that's the that my note for that is a kinder gentler uh, emperor because he has blue eyes yes he has baby oh. blues he's got baby blues yes he does <laughs> now the page before that he's making his the sad emperor eyes. in the same exact place there's a a, a picture of the emperor going yep. that's chris's r face <laughs> yes <laughs> it is <laughs> that is yes that could be me making an r face in a hoodie lord <laughs> You are correct. Well, I, th- I, think, I think the biggest <laughs> issue, really, that we need to focus on throughout this entire last chapter, chapter four, is that the Ewok who steals the speeder bark is not friggin' wicked, it's Paplu. I mean, come yes. on. It's completely unacceptable. And, and is that like the Shetland speeder bike? Because that thing's proportionate to the Ewok. Yes. Not... <laughs> it's either that or the steroided out Ewok. He's been getting into like some sort of plant that like has been. They, they, there up. are steroided out Ewoks in this because if you notice, there's a number of panels of Ewoks running. Yes. Now they I do know that. The one you're talking they about. do that in the movie. They when they run, they have that little "I just shit my pants" shuffle that they yes. do. They don't have. <laughs> <fucking pants. laughs> that's nice. That's that's nice. They don't have jointed legs. They don't have right. knees. And in this, there's a lot of scenes of them running like Flash style with their knees bent and everything. I'm like, wait a minute, how did their legs get like a whole? You they know, also run with their arms thrown oh. out straight in front of them too. Why? Uh, that's a costuming error, you know, not necessarily physiology. Well, they probably didn't see them in action when they drew the comic. They probably didn't see them running. They just figured that's how they would run, but. Yeah, they're not they, 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 they they're not taking the proportions of little people who have those the short legs and then they had those stumpy costumes on over top so they had to just go right yeah you know, criticisms and snarky comments aside, I enjoy this adaptation right up till chapter 4. And chapter 4 to me is just it's rough. It's really chapter rough. Chapter 3 should have just been longer, that's all. <laughs> Basically. But, but chapter 4 just I mean Everything gets short shrift here. All the cool stuff, you know, both the, the, uh, I mean, the Battle of Endor is just horribly abbreviated, both in space and on the planet. I mean, a lot of awesome stuff is cut out. And I'm wondering, is it because Lucasfilm said you can't talk about this, or is it because it was still in production so they didn't get to see things like the logs rolling down the hill and taking out ATSTs and stuff? Or the destruction of Executor. 
or executor, yes. I guess. Executor, yeah, is completely. Oh, wow, yeah, you're right. Yeah. So that, that's one of my favorite parts of the whole of the whole movie. So what we're seeing oh, you're gonna is love stuff, our commentary then. <laughs> stuff from post production is seems to be what's cut the most. Yes. That's true, but I mean Well yeah, here's a here's a perfect example yeah. is there's something this comment later and I know I stepped on you there, Bailey, I'm sorry. But um well, not really, but uh, <laughs> we never see Vader with his helmet off. And I gotta assume the reason there is the the story that we all heard about David Prowse was originally there and they refilmed it with the other guy. And so they were in the throes of that whole, you know, dealing with that issue of, of who's really going to be the actor that plays Vader under the helmet. And that's why we didn't get to see Vader's face in the comic. Mm -hmm. I think that, and I think there's also, I, I totally think that they were like, there's things we don't want them to see until they see the movie. And they, they wanted, if someone got a hold of this comic, to still have some surprises during the movie. Because I remember oh, when you absolutely. saw Vader's when you saw Vader's face, I was shocked. I was like, "Oh my God, they're taking his helmet off!" This didn't happen in the comic, because I had right. poured over this. I had poured over and you know scrutinized this thing like crazy for the week or however long leading up to that. But also just does some weird things like you know when Luke and Vader, you know, are dueling, you know, in the movie, uh, Luke kind of sneaks off and is in the shadows. And Vader draws him out, you know, by going, sister. Well, here it looks like Luke is standing above him. Vader says what he does, and Luke just jumps down at him. Never! And I, and, and I think that kind of undercuts the entire, you know, the emotional underpinnings of that scene. Of on the Luke next coward, page... Cowardly hiding under the stairs. On the... Um, <laughs> on the next page in the in the second panel R2D2 loses his head <laughs> it just blows right off oh my god and and in the next one in the next panel Han obviously ate some bad mexican cuz he's <laughs> just having some gastrointestinal yes. stress there i think i think he's actually biting the wires i think no you doing. know what he's doing he's shooting up some heroin right there he's yeah. got to pull the <laughs> you're thing right he's got his, the <laughs> thing tied around his, his no that was harry fisher yeah <laughs> no that would have been so cool. But look at the Ewok above him right there. He's got legs. He's got yeah. knees. He's running with his hands yeah. out. Uh, no, no, no. That's Ralph McQuarrie again, by the way. Uh, the novel, the Luke Emperor Vader stuff, is fantastic. There's loads of stuff of what they're thinking. We don't get into the Emperor's head, perhaps, fortunately. But Vader is all about turning Luke and killing the Emperor. But Luke really does contemplate dark side stuff in this. He considers just hacking Vader to bits and joining the Emperor. But my favourite bit is where he considers just offing the both of them and then bringing Leia in to be his number two and have the two of them rule the galaxy together. Which Shit, is really? That yeah. Luke That's awesome. In the, boot. the best bit as well is that there's an entire page conversation where they're talking about Luke's training and who trained him and who did what. Of course, we know Obi-Wan did it. And the Emperor has a wonderful bitchy line about we are familiar with the talent Obi-Wan had when it came to training Jedi. Which is <laughs> just, oh, bitch slap. Um, but he doesn't know Yoda. Palpatine doesn't know Yoda. He, he knows of him in passing. He knows his name, but he's never met him. And neither has Anakin. When Anakin dies at the end, he wants Luke to say, I wish I could thank Yoda for what he's done. 
So Anakin's never met Yoda either in the book. Maybe he's just not worthy enough for their memory. Wow, that <laughs> I don't... I, I, I remembered everything, you know, everything you were saying was bringing back memories and I was remembering, but I don't remember the Yoda thing. But yeah, now that you say all that about the the internal battle that that Luke was having and and being tempted to take out the Emperor and maybe even go to the dark side or take out both Vader and the Emperor, I remember that now that you mention it because uh, I remember my my cousin Michelle, who was a huge Star Wars fan when we were kids, was a big fan of that stuff, and uh, and I think that lent in a lot to why Chris and I, when we started writing our own Star Wars stories beyond Return of the Jedi, had Luke fall to the dark side because he couldn't uh, he couldn't go through it again. He, he you know he when he was tempted for a second time, he he wasn't able to uh, to stay as strong as he had been through that temptation with the Emperor, something to that effect. Something to that effect, yes. Which is what Dark like Empire the, did. Yeah. I like the Jedi kick uh, at the bottom of the uh, page after um, we have heroin shooting Han. Uh, <laughs> I don't remember... That has to be totally from the comic, because I don't remember Luke kicking Darth Vader. He kicks him down the, the stairs. Of... Yeah, he does. Yeah, he does him. in the movie. Yeah, but that's not yeah. down the stairs. It, it is. It's, it's actually... It's of, uh, yeah, it's out of order. It, yeah, but... it's out of, out of order of the movie. So they probably had stills that they were using for all of this. But in this, in this particular instance, they got the still out of order uh -huh. of the movie. But yeah, that window right behind Luke is the window where the Emperor sits. So they're still on up the upper part of the stairs, even though in the story they've already descended the stairs. Yeah. And they're down from the reactor. But yeah, that is and the scene where he kicks Vader and Vader backflips down the stairs and uh, yeah skipping ahead a little bit to where they blow up the Death Star those two pages does it look like they brought uh Chaykin back I'm talking about where they shows like... the Millennium Falcon flying in front of the Death Star where, where, where they actually blow it up and you see the Falcon yeah the, the second page is the Falcon blowing away from the Death Star with the weird distorted X-Wing behind it yeah, yeah. It's, it's two yeah. really sketchy pages and the Darth Vader the the Dar reclining Darth Vader looks right out of like Star Wars number one. Yes, no, in number one. Yes, yes the, it does. The the laying down Vader definitely look. I, I had Infantino written down, but I think you're right. It looks more. Chicken oh, I thought Carmen Infantino. Yeah. Yeah, Very I, I had noted that as well. If you go back a couple oh. pages, you got some more of that just terrible art with um when it shows the Death Star floating in space, and it's got right before they they I guess before they go in. Yes. Wait a minute. Hold this. The scene doesn't even make sense. Uh, okay, well, anyway, the, the the Falcon's floating in front of the Death Star. The Death Star looks like the original Death Star. Yes. And yeah, the does. Falcon looks like... It's like over terrible. the course of the adaptation, the Death Star gets more and more completed. <laughs> it gets completed. But look at the X-Wings in the background. And these people get fed by the hour. Right. Yeah, yeah they got the... Look at the X-Wings in the background. They look entirely wrong. Yeah, they look like they have... Yeah. It looks like the wings are made out of uh, uh, toothpicks or something. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, yeah. it's all very sketchy. So it's... I mean... I, I just noticed that when you get to the very end of it, it's like they, um, I, I can't, I can't remember. I think there's a couple of the artists that you guys didn't mention that it's got Dan Green, Dave Stevens, William Stout, who I think is responsible for that, that guy drinking the jug of space liquor in, uh, <laughs> space hooch in, uh, Jabba's palace, Tom Yates and Rick Bryant. 
And Tom, well, actually, Tom Yates drew very Bernie Wrightson like too. So that might have been Tom Tom Yates. But yeah, Dave Stevens definitely probably did those two pages. Yeah, it, could be. Okay, okay I'll, I'll take back that all the vehicles look good because they obviously suck the, at the end here. Yeah. However, yeah, I think at the end they were the window at the end. I think at the end they were rushing. They had some house artists. They just were like, yeah, that, that's not Al Williamson for sure. Yeah. <laughs> However, the figure work, like that that uh, that X-wing pilot at the top of the page with reclining Darth Vader. Yes. I like the detail on the helmet and the uniform and everything. It looks really cool. But then right under it, crap. Yeah, yeah. Like, and utter crap. It looks and like then, a Klaus Jansen really cool. pencil or something. Yeah. Well, even Chaikin, when he drew the Death Star blowing up in issue six, that was a good explosion. You know, like he, yeah. he wasn't as sloppy as he was in issue one. Here, like it, it, it looks worse than you know issue six of. Uh, yeah, it's the, very the, unspectacular the in here. It's like smoke. Yeah. It's, it, it's uh, like yeah, it's like they're on a deadline with these last few pages. Yeah. And like, mm-hmm. it's just so rushed. Everything. Yeah, that was my biggest note about this thing at the you know the death star explosion at the end is that this ain't the star wars adaptation for that that's for sure because that was spectacular in that and this is like yeah death star blows up wrap it up in one page is what it is (laughs) exactly i mean Uh, although i like admiral akbar smoking some space hooch either that or it's some sort of little space saxophone that he's playing luke looks like a lesbian at the bottom Yes, Luke is in his Justin Bieber mode. Oh, not Justin Bieber. He, he, lo- he looks more like what's her name from uh, Glee. Yes, the, yeah. Oh, the Jane Lynch. Woman. Yeah, Jane Lynch. Um, where the uh, the stormtroopers march Han and the others out of the bunker there. Um, this solves a bit of a mystery. I, Chris, I'm trying to remember. Did this come up? I know we talked about this. I'm trying to remember what episode it was. Was it during the commentary where I was talking about those blips that are on the screen yes. inside the bunker? All right. Well, they, the stormtrooper here says something about that. He says, uh, step lively, rebel scum. He says, you saw the screens inside. The rebellion is over for your fleets. That is what that was on the screens, is that they were tracking the rebels the whole time. And nobody caught, none of the rebels caught that. The Thing in the book there's another there's an extra threat level in the book that isn't in the film or the comic palpatine allows for the rebellion to win and he orders the death star to train its weapons on endor and if the worst comes to the worst and the rebels look like they're winning blow that fucker up right oh, no that is that is in, that is in because i had is a note on that book? i've missed that in the comic but that's a big subplot in the latter quarter of the novel that he's going yeah. to blow up Endor whether he wins or loses. See, I had completely forgotten that. So when I read that in this comic adaptation, I was like, whoa, wait a minute. Because he does say that here. He says, there is no escape. Should a miracle occur, the generator still uh, still be destroyed. I've given orders for this station to be turned on the Endor moon and destroy it. And then that's yeah. when his line from the movie comes in where he says, the Alliance will die, as will your friends. And I'm wondering... I wonder if that was even filmed. You know, was that shot and then left out of the movie? Because that would have been it's great. brilliant. Yeah, there's the scenes in the boot between the Emperor and um, who's the boss of the Death Star? It's Jared, isn't it? Between him and Jared, where he mm-hmm. tells him to do this, and there's a couple of scenes, and Jared's actually plotting that at the end. It's kind of similar, I suppose, to the end of Star Wars, 
where there's a countdown to them blowing up Yavin. It's similar to this, but the weapon is training on Endor when the Death Star blows up. So they may have deleted it because it's too similar. Right. But it does add an extra threat level <laughs> to the story that isn't here. Right. Oh, no, that's a good, I'm that's afraid a good that point. Death Star will be quite operational. Geez, you don't have to be a dick about it. It's another Family Guy one. <laughs> There's a line of dialogue that got altered here to now it doesn't make any sense as compared to the way it's it's done in the movie. Um, damn it, where the hell is it here? I'm not finding it. Vamp, oh, vamp, somebody. Well, vamp. he's vamping. I've got I've got a general question while he's doing that with either the films or the comic books. The the Ewoks build giant bonfires in their village made of wood. <laughs> um, how exactly do you stop that? I mean, you know? probably soak the wood around it in some sort of fireproof pitch or something. Bullshit. Yeah, no, some space asbestos. It's space Bullshit. fire, you know. I, the, the, I the, own the, the Ewok. Yeah, I own the Ewok village. It's plastic. Space asbestos, which will give you space mesothelium. Jangle <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's that's, that's a, not that's, funny. That's a good Here question, Shag. All right, I found it. It's George just Lucas before... will kill you for it. <laughs> now you must die. Right. Yes. <laughs> After the Ewoks started attacking the Imperials, and we get the big, you know, just mass confusion scene where Han reaches down and picks a blaster up off the ground. We go to a scene that's very much like one in the movie where they're moving in on the Star Destroyers. You know, the Rebel fleet's moving right up to the Star Destroyers to engage them at point blank. And, uh, and Akbar says at point blank, Rave, we won't last long against those Star Destroyers. Calrissian, which is pretty much what he says in the movie. And in the movie, Lando says, We'll last longer than we will against that Death Star. In this, he says, and this is literally what he says, We'll last longer against that Death Star, sir. What? That doesn't make any sense That's at all. That's the exact opposite, yeah. That's the exact opposite, and it doesn't make sense because, no, they would not last as long against a Death Star as they would against a Star Destroyer. It's just kind of stupid. That might just be a typo. I had a thought here, and I can't remember what made me think. There was some line of dialogue in here I was reading in the battle between Luke and Vader. It actually made me think a lot about the scene where Anakin battles Count Dooku for the second time in Revenge of the Sith and he makes the, the comment about you know my powers have doubled and I, I kind of looked at that as possibly maybe that's an explanation for how Luke was able to be so much more powerful this second time around to where he could actually take Vader out whereas Vader completely owned him in The Empire Strikes Back yeah but he, he learned how to fight he learned more about he's already fought Vader once so he's going. So he doesn't have to feel out. They don't have to feel each other out more. He knows how Vader fights now a little more. You know right. I mean? Feel each other out. <laughs> uh, in the book, Vader's surprised by how much stronger Luke has become. Right. It's like he wasn't expecting him to have become that powerful in such a short amount of time. I mean, I don't know what. What's the chronology on this now? Is Jedi now only six months after Empire? Something like that, yeah. It's it's yeah. not. I think it was actually originally it was like three months, but they may have added to it since they have put more stuff into the EU between Empire right. and Jedi. So that might be a greater. Well, Dan Didio put on Facebook today that uh, Empire never happened. <laughs> Damn it, Chad. Vader is nice. Vader Clever. is a total 
jackass and empire to Luke. He fights him one-handed. I mean, Jesus. Like, you're not even worth me putting my other hand on this lightsaber. Uh-huh. I can take you. Right. But how did Luke train with the lightsaber? Chewy. See, that's why I don't like that deleted scene. I'm glad that scene was cut. Because to me, Luke spent six months or a year, however elder long between films is now, training like an badass. He's been yeah, just like Rocky in Rocky Three or something. Yeah, 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 yeah but, but even Rocky had a sparring partner. Run up there. That's true. Well, you know, uh, that's he why we just don't feel like balls. He, he probably like... just had some little balls. He he was he what? went to Tatooine. He picked a fight with a bunch of sand people. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of his father in him. In this, when Vader reads Luke's mind, he says that the sister is Leia. He actually comes, he uses her name and he realizes who it is. Do you think movie Darth Vader realized this? That that the, the twin sister that he learns of is Leia? It was ambiguous, but I think he knew. I think he knew. I I think that would really um, give his character more motivation to turn to find out that the emperor had him torture his own daughter. Might might have uh, fueled some of his anger. You know, ah, helped the chuck down the point. hole. I wouldn't have been too happy about that, even if I was a Sith Lord. Andy, is that addressed in the book in the in the novel? No, it's it's not. There's no mention. Of it in the booth at all. I mean, it's some. I hadn't considered that in the film he doesn't even mention that it's Leia, does he? No. No. Oh, no. in fact, that, oh, yeah, was the, that was the last minute in the film because there was a documentary where, like Lucas said, that in the script it just said that Vader says something to get Luke mad, and it was very late in the game where they decided yeah, they that decided they decided it was going to be sister. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. See, in the booth, when Vader dies. He, he does the whole life flashes before his eyes thing, and he, he remembers the, the brotherhood he had with Obi-Wan and all of that stuff, his friend, and how that friendship turned sour and falling in the pits and all of that stuff. But he doesn't, no, he doesn't focus on the children, or even Padme. Well, obviously, he's not going to mention Padme because they didn't know she existed. But he doesn't, he doesn't even have any thoughts of that at all. His last memories are of Obi-Wan, and then he focuses on his kids. Or Luke specifically, he doesn't mention. I'm leafing through the book here. He doesn't mention Leia at all. Hmm. Yeah, I was just curious about that because that really jumped out to me in this adaptation. That you know, it's it's the whole scene from the movie where I go, sister. So you have a twin sister. But in this, he he uses her name. So he yeah. not only pulled out the image and the feelings of a sister from Luke's mind. In this, he pulled out that it was Princess Leia. And I never really got that impression from the movie that he that it was that specific that he actually knew that it was Leia. No, I that, always thought he just got like that word. That's all. You have a right, sister. Right. Exactly. He, he sister, was probing, yes. and he got one thing and grabbed onto it and said, "Oh, you got something," you know. But yeah. which it's a good thing that Lucas came up with that line because, uh, or whoever came up with it, and Lucas took credit for it because it, it's a callback to what Obi Wan said. You know, your feelings will betray, you know, hide them, or they'll right. be made to serve the Emperor. Right. And you would have exactly. thought that would be forefront on his mind. He's only just discovered this, essentially. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. if the minute you discover something, it's hard not to think about it. Hard to bury it, yeah, and just yeah. put so, the task at hand in front, yeah. <laughs> so it does make more sense, really, that he does get that it is Leia. That actually works better, I think. 
I think so too. But it, it's just odd that I never I never caught that before or really thought about it. But yeah, I think it adds a lot more drama and uh, and potential to EU stuff, which I know some of the EU stuff has actually touched on that because uh, you know the if I'm not mistaken, the very first EU novel, you know, time-wise after Return of the Jedi was that terrible book, Truce at Bakura. That sucked, but there was one good part in that where the ghost of Anakin came to Leia, basically because he wanted to to make amends and he wanted um, absolution for what he had done to her. That was good. The rest of it sucked. Yeah, there's a funny bit in there. So, like, of all the people, of all the people in the galaxy to be haunted by, it had to be him. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, that's all I've got on this. Yeah. yeah that's about all. Yeah, I've that's got it. Too. I mean, it's not got the um, the funeral pyre scene, but that was a pickup after shooting had finished, wasn't it? So oh, that was it really? I believe so. Yeah, yes. that was a that was oh, a pickup. Wow. They fil- that's filmed on uh, Lucasfilm Ranch. You can sort of tell that there's a whole different, there's a sort of different lighting and look to that. It's almost a little canned, the way that's filmed. You can almost tell it was a different unit shoot and everything. Yeah, it was decided in in cutting the film together that they they didn't tell what had happened to Vader. And did they leave him on the Death Star? So if so, why did Luke drag him all the way to the shuttle bay to then not take him off Death Star with him? So they added that scene in, in pickups of Luke burning his body. And obviously that's not in the adaptation if it was added later. So I don't know what shooting script the book had that the, that the comic adaptation didn't have. That if that's not in the script and was added later, how did that make the book? That's a good point. That's a very good point, actually. I mean, it's the Damn, second I really, I really want to read this book again now yeah. because I'd... I, I remember it's the second the... to last paragraph of the book, so presumably if he wrote this in order, I mean, I don't know how you write novelizations if you do it that way, it would have been very easy to say to him, hey, look, we've added a pickup scene. Can you add this on the last page? And he did. All right, guys, so anyway, uh, final thoughts on Return of the Jedi. Thumbs up, thumbs down. What do you what do you think of it in general, the uh, comic adaptation? I liked it. I, I wish that they would have done it in the main title just because kind of like you mentioned your little friend who wasn't allowed to go to the movies. I like that with the other title, you could go from issue one of Star Wars and on and get like the complete saga and one comic series. But, you know, it's it's a miniseries. It's no big deal. Uh, I think it, the ending was rushed, like we all said. But all in all, you know, they got Al Williamson to do the art with some friends. And Archie Goodwin to write it. So it's, uh, it's good Star Wars. And it says something that, you know, when Dark Horse reprinted the other movie adaptations, they, comp- they decided to change and do a new adaptation for A New Hope. But they kept the Empire and Jedi ones instead of redoing them. Because it, it works. And it still works now. It holds up well. So, thumbs up. I really enjoyed reading this. Uh, you know, like we all said, and Josh just said again, you know, the ending kind of sucked. But there were some, like, moments in this comic where I was just really enjoying it as a comic book. And I think that was the most important thing. I mean, I can I can watch the film several versions, you know, pretty much any time I want. But to read it as a comic book and see it translated into that medium was kind of fascinating, fascinating to me. Uh, I, I, I haven't mentioned this entire episode. I haven't read that many Star Wars comics. Uh, I'm about to rectify that with a vengeance, thanks to some omnibuses that will hopefully be coming my way soon. But 
this is my first time really reading this cast of Star Wars in comic book form outside of like issues 50 to 53 and I really liked it and it really made me hungry for more Star Wars comics uh, I liked what I liked I hated what I hated and that's pretty much it so Andy what did oh. you think thank you very much um Ooh, mixed bag for me. Star Wars works exceptionally well as comic books, which we all know because we all good at reading the Marvel ones, well, apart from Michael, obviously. But this isn't as good as Star Wars or Empire. The art for the first three issues is fantastic. Kind of goes off the wall in Chapter 4, if I'm being brutally honest. I mean, there's still some good bits, but not being six issues really hurts it. Not just in the sense of being able to add scenes that were cut from the final print of the film, like the Star Wars and Empire versions, but actually cutting things that are quite important in the film from the adaptation. So on the whole, uh, 50-50. It's good, enjoyable, I enjoyed reading it, but it's not as good as the other two. Agreed. Agreed. Um, I'll just say that you know I, I have I have sentimental attachment. And by the way, nobody gives a shit what Shag thinks about this. Right. Um, Fuck him. You know. <laughs> I, I mean, yeah. You know. <laughs> you know. I grew oh, up God. with this. Let's so, not even ask him. You know. Yeah. Let's fuck him. Yeah. Um, look, you know. Look, I, 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 I love been riding my ass all fucking just... episode. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna just put him on mute right now. Yeah. Yeah. Nobody cares. Yeah. You know he you eats know. babies, right? I heard this. Like whole babies. Yeah, I I hear he starts with the feet and eats them in a mirror so he can watch the expression on their face. Really, I heard that he just like starts at the belly and you know goes nut to town. Uh, he probably he probably switches it up. Way to take the high ground, Andy. Well, you know that's how we lost our empire. No, I thought it was your constant use of the letter U in words that don't need it. Oh, low blow. <laughs> Just because you massacre our language, damn you all to hell. You started it, we finished it. Yeah. <laughs> By cutting bits out. We just took out the letters we didn't like. Yeah. The superfluous um, stuff. <laughs> I'll just say I like it. Uh, I will agree. It's it's the weakest of the the Star Wars adaptation, at least of the original trilogy. Um, but far from the worst comics adaptation that Marvel ever did. Far, far from that. So uh, yeah, I, I'll still give it a thumbs up. Although uh, the stuff that's missing makes it kind of a wonky read and uh, very disjointed from what would come later with uh, Marvel Star Wars, as we will find out. I wish Chris? I wish it would have rather started off weak and ended strong with the comic right. adaptation instead of the opposite. But still, yeah, thumbs up because it it's still an A list. It's still an A level adaptation compared to some of the other adaptations, especially that were coming out of Marvel at the time. All right, yes. before we before we jettison this this whole thing, let's give everybody who's been our honored guest tonight a chance to uh, pimp their wares. So we'll start with with um, the the person who's furthest away, Andrew Leland. Leyland. Leyland. <laughs> I was actually oh, trying oh, to do it right. I was actually trying to do it right, but I like to make you yell your name too. 
Well, thank you very much for that, and thank you for inviting me on the show. I do a podcast called Hey Kids Comics with my now 16-year-old son, Michael, which can be found on aplayland.podomatic.com. At the moment, we are whoring ourselves out doing the relaunch stuff because we are whores and we will try and get new listeners any way we can. Um, but pretty soon, just for Scott, we're going to do Batman Night Quest. Thank you very much. Excellent. Andrew Leyland, Chief uh, well Lady of the Night. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> hey, not so cheap. <laughs> All right. Josh Bertoni, what do you do? Uh, well, what the hell thanks. do you do? Well, thanks for having me on. It's been a fun few hours, and um, I did not think that we could top when my house burned down the last time I was on, but boy, you know, we, we did this time. Uh. <laughs> That's crazy. Um, well, I did a Marvel Star Wars podcast. It's currently, uh, because of the Podomatic thing and the feed expiring and me not wanting to pay for Podomatic, it went on a hiatus while I switched feeds. Um, I have a Lipson feed up for it, and all the em- the episodes are transferred onto there, so I just need to make new ones now, so step two of three is complete for that, so Excellent. I'll let you guys know when that's coming out, but don't hold your breath, because it turns out I have a job, and uh, my job does not like me podcasting that much, because it keeps me from working, so um, I don't know... I don't know how much of this uh, Bailey's heard yet, but um, I've recently been invited to be a regular with him on the Spider-Man Call Space podcast. Did you know that as of yet, or? Mike? Silence. Um, I figured it uh, something was up. You made a post on Facebook. I had not heard the official word on it yet. So, congratulations. Awesome. The You've been react- replaced. <laughs> No, he hasn't been. <laughs> uh, so I do, I do that, and I do a few other Spider-Man podcasts, Clone Saga Chronicles with uh, Zach Joyner and a host of others like uh, Gerard Delatour and uh, Donovan Grant, where we cover Spider-Man's Clone Saga. And Donovan Grant also joins me with John Wilson on Amazing Spider-Man Classics to cover Spider-Man's Silver Age era. And right, uh, there's other podcasts that I participate in, but because there's kind of some on hiatus and some transitioning, I really don't want to pimp them now because I don't like pimping things when I can't give people new episodes. So on to the next guy. All right, which one of them should I do next? All right, well, we'll, we'll do Shag because he probably doesn't have that much to say. <laughs> well, thanks again, guys, for having me on the show. As always, I had a real blast. Um, people can find me primarily at firestormfan.com, where I am following all the exploits of the nuclear man, uh, or men, I should say now. Uh, you can also find Firestorm Fan on Facebook, simply Firestorm Fan, or on Twitter as Firestorm Fan. Both of those feeds have extra stuff that don't necessarily appear on the site. You can also find me on the Fire and Water podcast. That is a podcast de- dedicated, that's right, to Firestorm and Aquaman, serving that unique niche of thousands of listeners that are fans of both Firestorm and Aquaman. It's steamy. You know, why waste your time with popular, quote-unquote, characters like Batman and Superman when you can be focused on these guys? So, uh, you can also find me occasionally on my own blog, Once Upon a Geek. And finally, you can find me on The Unique Geek which is a podcast and a listserv you can find on Google Groups. That's it? I think you should call your letters column and fire, or, you know, your equivalent of feedback column, you should call it, like, the sauna or something like the that. Sauna? The sauna? Steam room. 
the that's steam not, room. That's the not the bathhouse. The pressure cooker. The bathhouse. That's what it should be. Yeah, especially. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> the, uh, two, two guys hosting that. I don't think I'm calling it the, the bathhouse. Sorry, guys. <laughs> that's what I, yeah. All right. Michael Bailey, last but not least. I appreciate that. Um, I host or co-host a number of podcasts uh, on the Two True Freaks network yes. of radio shows. As Scott and I have discussed recently, that maybe we should start referring to, to them as radio shows to people that don't know what a podcast is. Because why do we call them radio podcasts? Um, we as Scott and I do Tales of the Justice Society of America which is about to get into a really cool... Well, it's been in a really cool period because we've seen the introduction of Infinity Incorporated. We're about to get into that series. And down the road, uh, sometime next year, we're going to be getting into our epic, not-to-be-topped, no-one-will-ever-want-to-touch-it-again coverage of Crisis on Infinite Earths. Dun-dun-dun! Uh, hoping will be that... in continuity forever. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, oh, well unless you're Dan DiDio tweeting. Uh, thanks, Dan. Um, and hopefully he and I can get back to the bins back on uh, track. I'm also part of Comics Monthly Monday, which is a lot of fun. I'm really looking forward to the next episode. You're a vital component of Comics Monthly Monday, sir. A vital component. <laughs> well, as long as you don't want my vital essence. You're like, so. the, you're like the Jesus bolt on a, on a helicopter. Uh, I also host a uh, podcast about Superman uh, because I like people to actually listen to my show. Uh, Ouch. Wow. <laughs> I was wondering where I could work that in. No, uh, Jeffrey Taylor and I host From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast, which is presented by both the Superman homepage and the Superman podcast network. Uh, there we are covering the Superman books uh, from Man of Steel number one to Adventures of Superman number 649. We are several months, uh, several episodes, I mean, away from Doomsday. And it's about to get real. Uh, I'm so excited. I pulled the books the other day and it made me happy. Um, also, I do by myself Bailey's Batman podcast. Which is me covering my Hooray! my collection of Batman books. It, it, it's just basically I started where my collection started. I'm reading them, and you're coming with me on the journey. So, and that can be found at Bailey'sBatmanPodcast.com. Is that chronological order, or just whatever you got in front of you? Uh, it is. It, it's it's basically I have a full run of Batman from um, 1983 till about 2006. So that's what I'm reading through. Gotcha. That ought to hold you for a little while. Yeah. I'm good. Jeez. I'm good. I really yeah. am. Well, thanks, fellas. Gosh! Well, thank thanks you, Mr. Honeywell, for having us. Hope y'all enjoy Return of the Jedi Month. <laughs> it's Bow shooter. <laughs> <laughs> yub nub <laughs> yub nub eat your mama <laughs> <laughs> alright we'll go on <laughs>
Visit our website at twotruefreaks.libsyn.com. Two True Freaks is always spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S. Libsyn is spelled L-I-B-S-Y-N. You can email Two True Freaks directly at twotruefreaks at gmail.com. Join our forum at forumforgeeks.com where you can discuss all of the shows on our feed with us and your fellow listeners. You can find Two True Freaks on Facebook. Just search for Two True Freaks. And hey, you can friend me, Scott Gardner, on Facebook too. My name is spelled S-C-O-T-T-G-A-R-D-N-E-R. You can friend me on Facebook too, if you can find me. Now available, Two True Freaks t-shirts. See our website for details. Two True Freaks is a very proud member of the Comics Podcast Network. You can check that out at www.comicspodcast.com, where you can hear our new episodes when we put them up. We are also members of the League of Comic Book Podcasts. For more information, visit comicbooknoise.com slash league. If you ever leave your house and you actually have friends, why don't you tell them about Two True Freaks? Thanks for listening, and join us every Monday for new episodes of... Two True Freaks. Well, I used to go to school of the deaf, and I know exactly how, you know, I know how to deal with that. Shut up. And, uh, yeah. I keep forgetting it's all about Mike. Okay, we'll bring it back to you. Keep telling people what a prima donna he is. They just don't believe me. God. Did you get him everything for the green room like you're supposed to this time? <laughs> yeah, All but I pissed M&Ms. in his M&Ms first. <laughs> That's okay. No, I'm just remembering the times that, you know, you've given me crap about not mentioning things. So it's it's okay. I screwed up. It well, happens. You need I gave you... Dude, I'm just giving uh, you shit. You need what I got. I got a whiteboard on the wall with all the names on them, and I can just put a hash mark next to it. It's so much easier. <laughs> and then when I feel really pissed off, then I can go to it and get it all out at the same time. I can burn them all in FNG and... FNG. I don't say FNG. I say FNG because it sounds more... FNG. <laughs> no, I... I, I... I finished up the the fourth episode and I enjoyed it greatly. So, oh, cool. good job. Thank you. Thank you. Sure, I gave you only the M and M's that you wanted, but I rubbed every one of them in my armpit first. That's that's okay. I don't eat M and M's. I eat Reese's Pieces. So you Ew, fucked that up too. I don't want to tell you where I put the M and M's after Scott, but now I'm really worried that where I put the M and M's now guys has honestly Scott's think armpit I would stuff eat on any it. food that I didn't pr- or drink anything that I you know if, if it's not like sealed. Like in its original thing, I ain't fucking touching. You're, you're doing Halloween candy practices all yeah. year, huh? <laughs> I am checking for the razor blades. That's what it is. I uh, no. I am I am one of those with uh, time constraints. I will probably have to bail uh, after the first one just because the timing. I could suck so hard. I dude, I could God. come I could come back after like nine or ten o'clock at night, but I realize that's definitely not going to work for our people over in the across the pond. I so. tell you what. Well, Aquaman in there will that will that make you want to stick around? No, I mean there's no there's no question of want. <laughs> it's a question of family obligation and duties. If you wanted to, you would. That's all. That's yeah. all I got to say. <laughs> wow. Oh.
My five-year-old daughter beats you, Scott. You've met her. She's adorable. She is adorable. She is adorable. Uh, that's a, nice. A that's as good looking as the, as the one that you have, honestly. Hey, Say that reminds again? me. Um, I said you do not deserve as good looking a family as the one that you have. I, no, I, not at all. No, the mail order is a great thing. Recessive <laughs> genes are an awesome <laughs> deal. Yeah. You know, I you know, like two minutes ago, I was feeling kind of bad that I was being a little mean to Shag. Um, no. I'm, I'm feeling pretty good about myself right now. <laughs> that's like what Scott and I used to say about right? Pete Hush. Yeah. I mean, you've you met Shag. Um, yes. Uh, before we get cranking on this, because I know I'll forget if I don't uh, let him know now. Shag, I ran into a buddy of yours at uh, at work. Um, when was this? It must have been Friday. Ed. Uh, I want to say his name was. It was something with a J. Jeremy. What? Uh, Jeremy. Julian. Uh, no. George. Jackie. Jacob. Jennifer. No, Jebediah. He said he was a friend of yours. Really? Because he totally freaked me out. He was he was walking. I was working at the at the Ep, not at Epcot, but at um, the TTC on the Epcot load. You know, for the okay. for the monorail. And he walks by me and he goes, Scott. And he goes, and he like like snaps his fingers and points. He goes, Scott Gardner. And I was like, Yeah. <laughs> and he's like. Uh, Hey, I'm such a, I'm, I thought for sure he said, Jeremy, he goes, I'm, he goes, I'm Shag's friend. And I was like, oh, okay. And he goes, yeah, he goes, I listen to Two True Freaks all the time. And he's like, just. Is, and, he a, is he a cast member or was he just a customer walking around? No, he was How just about a, this? What does he look like? He was, you know, just a white guy. He looked. Uh, <laughs> yeah, they all do look the same. That's for sure. <laughs> That's did, he, like. did, did he have hair? <laughs> yes, he had hair. He kinda, I have no idea who that is. He kind of looks like you with hair is kind of what he looks like. Yes. No, he, uh, I do not believe he had glasses, no. Dude, I have no idea who this is. Not a clue. <laughs> it was something with a with a with Jerry or Jeremy. Damn it. I, I wish I, I should have written it down. But Was he yeah. tall, short? He was, uh, he was shorter than me. Um, I don't think you're going to get anywhere because I, I got nothing, a, dude. He had, he had a... Um, he had a family. I want to say he had a, a wife and a little, I think, a little girl with him. I mean, it's not like I got his life story. I mean, I talked to him They're for all like. white, you know? It's, just like, <laughs> it's not like I got his life story. You know, I mean. I, I, seriously, unless it's Ed. I Was he a local he Orlando? You. No, I, his name was not Ed, unless he used a different name or something. But it, it was it was something with syllables, you know? So it wasn't Weird. just Ed. <laughs> okay. But it was, so it was, so it was a white guy with syllables and a, hey, and a generic this, family. I, I got nothing. I really don't. I thought you'd be all excited about <laughs> this. It, anyway. It, at Disney World too. Imagine that. Well, yeah, this is this is the first time. Other than you ran, Adam, Peter, you ran into Peter David that one time. Adam Teeble. This is the first person that's actually recognized me, you know, from the show. But like outside, uh, you know, I mean, just like randomly, and it kind of freaked me out. I got to be honest. <laughs> if I can come up with a dude, I'll, I'll let you know. I might post something on my Facebook going, "Who's at Disney World talking about me?" But um. I have no idea. Well, maybe are you friends with him? I wonder if you are friends with him on Facebook. Like, I, don't, I don't have any friends. I mean, really. Let's face it. Well, the way you could, act. I mean, you know. I mean, who'd want to be, right? Right. No, I, I, really, <laughs> I cannot say this out. But I don't want to eat any more of our podcasting time either. Exactly, yes. Stop we do, eating. Yes, we need to dive into that. I have no munchies for this episode. I'm proud of myself. So. I'll be getting munchies during the break. 
So. Yes, I will too. <laughs> All right. Bachman Butter Twist Brick Oven like, Flame Baked Pretzels. Jesus Christ! That's like Can quadruple baked. Can you describe baked. that anymore? With, uh, no, there's more description on the label. It's original Butter Twist Brick Oven Flame Baked Pretzels Jesus. with natural and artificial flavor for the crispiest, crunchiest, best-tasting Butter Twist Pretzels. No trans fat, but real butter. All right, uh, two two quick things before we get cranking. Are you absolutely sure that your recorder is recording? Because mine tells me it is not recording because it's a piece of um, shit. I so. see me recording you, and I see me recording me, so yes. Awesome. I'm backing everything up too, guys. All right, the Excellent. other the other thing real quick. Um, it's a fine-looking podcast. I so have I back noticed, that thing up. I have noticed several times when we have had guests that we suck and we totally forget at the very end of the episode to let them pimp their wares, which is one of those things that in post always drives me crazy. It's like, shit, we had this person on so they could pimp themselves. And Sometimes then never we sign out without saying goodbye. Right. Well, well, then the last time, you know, that we all got together, we let everybody do it at the beginning. And I have to be honest, I felt like it took us like 45 minutes to get the episode That's because it did take us 45 it minutes. Did. So, <laughs> so I want to go back to we just dive right into the episode. But guys, somebody police me here. Don't let me forget to let me give you guys your opportunity to, to pimp your shows and stuff, you know. Okay. So Bailey's Batman podcast. I have somebody in England right now who threatened my life yep <laughs> he's on this call <laughs> i got this message there better be a bailey's batman podcast or there will be hell to pay <laughs> and i and i told him that re- that line didn't really work out for uncle owen uh too well so you know that one <laughs> i keep wanting to his call him ben for some reason but um if only i had to stop that stormtrooper um tails <laughs> Scott and I are heading into like the most awesome period of tales ever uh, between infinity incorporated and then beyond that crisis. And there's like the crisis management stuff that we need to do. Yeah. Uh, and I want to get back to back to the bins because I miss it. Uh, and comics monthly, well, comics monthly Monday is once a month. So that's, uh, you know, like the, uh, and from crisis to crisis. And those are the three, sh- the three projects even though there's more than one show with two true freaks that I really want to focus on. Cause I'd rather take the small amount of time I have and do it right than half-ass everything. And, uh, it hurts a little bit, but I think in the end I'll be saner. That's why uh, we don't have freaky Fridays right now. Yeah. 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 That's, so I feel a little bad, but at the same time, I think the, the, the shows that I'm focusing on will be better for it. See, this is why I only do one show. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no shit. (laughs) Does it seem petty to me that I was pissed at them that I bought those issues of Alter Ego and Back Issue that one month that they gave them out for free digitally, that they didn't contact those of us that had ordered it to, to let us know? I just I, I, that might seem really petty, and I just wonder if it does, but it pissed me off. It's like, God damn it. I wouldn't have bought either one of these if I'd have known you were going to fucking give them out for free. And it just seemed it seemed kind of rude that they didn't offer a discount or a refund or even just a heads up. Or offer up. you a free issue. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. No, that sounds reasonable to me. If you've paid for something they then offer for free, 
it, it stands to reason as a business you would get in touch with those people and say look you paid for this we can't give you a refund for whatever reason but you can have an issue of your choice for free Right. Or half off service. next issue or something like yeah. that. Yeah, it's some sort of gesture, but none was made, and it kind of pissed me off. But anyway, I realize that you and uh, and Shag are, are kind of up against the clock, and I apologize. We we always do this. Yeah, sort I, of I, I'm really sorry, guys. I didn't that that went on a lot longer than I meant to, so I do apologize. All right, I'm just playing with my sonic screwdriver. <laughs> That's okay. It's good information to have. Now I know why I don't you don't call me anymore. Was that like a euphemism? No, no, I did say a sonic screwdriver in my hand. <laughs> oh, cool. Ooh. I've, got, I, I've got size snoodles in my hand. <laughs> I really hope that's a youth. That's not a euthanism. Yeah, no. that is not a youth. A euthanism is a different thing. <laughs> a euthanasiaism. I was <laughs> listening to. Uh, um, the commentary that you sent me, Chris, and I thought it was going very well. It needs to be cranked up in volume, by the way, but I thought it was very good so far, but I was kicking my own ass all day because I totally, totally forgot my Tina Turner joke that Cy Snoodles, um, I was going to say something to the vague effect of it was so nice to see Tina Turner getting some work. You know, this was there's her last Tina Tur- But there's a Tina Turner in, uh, reference. Um, in- under Dome, you know, and stuff there, like that. There's a Tina Turner reference in that in the general Star Wars discussion episode of it because somebody it was it was more of an Ike Turner reference of Ike Turner was backstage That's- slapping <laughs> Stice Noodles around. Was so there's going to... It could. It probably was you. And yeah, because so I, I'm the one mo- more more likely to make a a a Ike Turner slapping Tina around joke for some reason. Because I just remember during that show, all of a sudden, you know, I was hearing "What's Love Got to Do with It" and making a little <laughs> mental note that I'm downloading "What's Love Got to Do with It" for that show. You know, <laughs> so. Okay. I have the uh, disco version of Lopty Neck on my iPhone. Ooh, wow. Who's host? Who's uh? Who's playing uh? MC in this MC? one? MC. Yeah. Uh, are we just before we start? Are we just talking about the comic adaptation, or are we going to mention the novel as well? Or have you done the novel in another show? Hey, we what? have not done the novel, and uh, I'm kind of I was kind of thinking that that might fit nicely into this episode, is to kind of talk about both because. Excellent. Because I don't want you thinking I've got too much time on my hands, but I've got the novel at the side of me here with loads of notes in it. Just oh, no, that's, no, that's big, great because you actually pull, uh, you actually uh, take up a lot of my slack because I have not had time to reread that book. And so I would great. be going totally off memory. But uh, yeah, one of my notes on a scene in this comic adaptation was going to make mention of, uh, of something I remembered. Well, from I've got novel. about 12 different post-it notes throughout this book. Well, before we start, remember we so were going to do the great. outro. Yeah, yeah, let's go ahead and do that. We'll go. <laughs> what's the matter, Chad? No, that was me. Oh, why? What's the matter? I bought an extra of a book and I'm pissed. Yeah, oh. I did that today too. All right. Um, Fuck! We... I did it twice. <laughs> what's what's his malfunction? <laughs> yeah, well, whatever it is, he did it twice. Apparently so. <laughs> Dude, Chris, what's your childhood trauma. Yes. You, I think you should do the the host thing because oh. no, because whatever list you were following before, see my list keeps changing order constantly depending on who's talking. 
So I can't. I don't have a list. I can just go down here. Well, oh, yeah. Okay. Well, I can, yeah, I can do that. I'd knock that out. I, uh, at this uh, in this show, I can actually use this list called my memory to do it because there's not <laughs> a lot of people here. Fuck you. I don't think that works very often. <laughs> Mine does so not work. That's exactly the problem. I've got it written on my hand right now. Okay, so all right, we're go. all set. Go. People I don't scare me. Yes. Stupid bitches and dun, dun, dun. Now we're ready to begin. Begin again. Are you watch saying you wanted me? Watch the whole podcast go insanely off the rails, and all our comments at the end just don't make any sense. <laughs> <laughs> that would well, that, be, was... that would be awesome. I had to set up that something crazier than my house burning down would happen. No, I like that. I thought about it. I'm like, oh shit, now we're on the hook. I was like, if we could have done more planning, we could have all pla like been mad at somebody at the end of it and and, <laughs> and let people try to figure out what it is that made. What did he say? I don't didn't hear anything that would make anybody mad. Those guys must uh, here's, be sensitive. Here's the big question on this: is how do we want to tackle this issue exactly? I'm almost wondering if we should just go page per page, and if you got a note or an off the cuff comment, we just throw it out there. Otherwise, we just keep moving and basically work our way through the whole issue. How does that sound to everybody? All right. That well, how about fine, this? Yeah. How about this? We'll um. How about um. We'll yeah, go round it's... robin with everybody doing a page. Well, uh, hold on. That doesn't quite work in my situation. Um, I remember, I don't know if Scott remembers, but I, I don't have the actual issues. I have the Return of the uh... Jedi illustrated novel thing. Oh. So mine's different. Um, the little paperback maybe... one. Yeah, the little paperback. I look, I look at my collection. Like, well. I was shocked. I'm like, I don't actually so have are, the are, issues. We're looking for somebody to do a synopsis? Is that what you're doing? No, 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 no. no. We're not going to do a synopsis so much as I'm sure everybody has notes. And yeah, rather, kind of. And, yeah, <laughs> rather than yes. everybody going around doing doing their list of notes, because I don't know how everybody else is, but I've got a monster list of notes. So rather than listen to me go down my list of notes for like 45 minutes, I figured it might be easier to just, we just kind of tackle like page at a time or sequence at a time or something maybe, like that. Just kind of throw out. Maybe scene by scene might work a that, little better. Well, that's yeah, what I'm, I'm, I'm saying maybe like one of us, maybe what I'll do is is I'll say, okay, well, we'll you know, and we'll all just sort of, um, I'll introduce everybody. We'll all just sort of say what version of it we have in front of us. Mm -hmm. And then I'll just go and I'll go, okay, here we go with the opening page has all this on it. And then I'll be like, all right, well, we have the first scene where Vader arrives, you know, at the new Death Star and. And then we've got the, you know, the as a little opener, and then you got the next page with R two and and three PO walking up to the door, and then we'll uh, we'll talk about that brief, brief brief since it is sixty eight pages, we'll have to sort of keep it right, keep it moving. But we could and just. You want work... me to be noble boy? You Do and you Shag, work? I guess. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you're talking the, the, the yeah. No. You yeah. just want me to leap in with. The places where I've got notes in this book. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. I'll be noble by then. All okay. Right, let me, okay. I'll go ahead and bring the episode in and then hand it off to Chris for, for introductions. Does that work? That works for me. All right. That works. And, okay. and Scott, I, unlike normal, I don't have pages and pages of notes. Uh, I don't know why, but for whatever reason, I just didn't take down a bunch. So I, okay. I will. Yeah, I took up your slack. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> All right. Let's go ahead and dive into this. Um, what are we shooting for time wise? Couple oh, hours, anything with the next two, two and a half hours is fine. Yeah. Okay. All right. <clears throat> All right. Here we go. 
I just like the voice saying shut up in the background. <laughs> no, I was hoping I had to pick that up before I uh, hit the mute button. Yeah. yeah. Lovely. I love that my family is so considerate and kind to be quiet in the background. <laughs> right. You need There's a um, light. Um, I'm going to go start up a chainsaw. I'll be right back. <laughs> <laughs> you guys really don't get Fruit Loops? No. I owe you some Fruit Loops. I, yes. I have a guy. I, I'm we're gonna I'm send you a care package. I'm subscribed to a guy on YouTube who's in Britain who gets junk food mailed to him by Americans who like you've never had a Twinkie before, and he's like, I've only heard of Twinkies, and then Chris, he we rates them and evaluates them. They don't get sprees. Who the hell we doesn't get, get I did not realize that England was a third world country, okay? I thought you we guys were like sophisticated and stuff. Do you have oh, Twinkies? Yogurt. You need Twinkies? They're now on television? No, we don't get Twinkies. We don't get the first thing I did when we came you to America. You need some Twinkies. Or, oh, you have had Twinkies, okay. I've had them. It was the first thing I went and did. I bought Twinkies because of Ghostbusters. And I had to buy a hostess fruit. They're not as big as they are in Ghostbusters, just so you know. No, no. So I and I bought them in Ding Dongs. I bought yes. that just because uh -huh. I bought that just because the name is Ding Dong. Uh -huh. I just thought that was fantastic. Oh my! That was, I was just a pretty girl on the beach. Ding Dong. I I collect so packaging I, I, of bad of badly named candy from around the world, and yeah, <laughs> and we've got some great ones in America. My well, our Snickers bar used to be called Marathons, and I think Snickers was the same. But your Mars bar. And Milky Ways are swapped over over here. Oh, weird. Really? Are in America. Like and it was an, They're the two space I, bars, too. That's a weird thing. Yeah, I just got really confused with your chocolate after that, and I just ate those Hershey just... ones with nuts in. <laughs> so were you, con were you confused by chips when you came over here? Well, no, I knew what them was because we, we, we've watched far too many American television shows. Oh, that's so we true. Were fine that. So we, we knew what chips were. Uh, but walking around, yes, was, was, I think television is the main way British culture and American culture communicate. Because yes, because Scott, you know, yeah, Scott and I, I know we got it through Hitchhiker's Guide to the Monty Galaxy Python, and Monty Python. If it hadn't been for Monty Python, I wouldn't understand a goddamn word you say. I gotta be perfectly. <laughs> I got to thank you for uh, the Office and the Beatles, two of your greatest the exports. Beatles, yeah, the Beatles. <laughs> Strange I will agree with that entirely and throw in the Jaguar XJS. And, and, <laughs> and I just love the way you guys say Jaguar, too. Jaguar. Yes. Just like pink And aluminum. Yes. And aluminum. I'm fascinated by aluminum. What the hell's an aluminum falcon? Oh, hey. <laughs> um, yeah, Wouldn't that, that be an aluminum falcon? Yeah, one day. Because one... there's a U in it. One day I'll do one of my most frightening po podcasts called Two True Freaks Storytellers. I made C-3PO cry about the <laughs> Br British guy who came to stay for us one summer, and it was the biggest mistake we ever made. Oh, oh dear. Was, yes, yes, he said, oh, dear, a lot. He was oh trying my. to hit on. He was trying to hit on a lesbian girl or, and said something about, you know, <laughs> some man's going to come sweep you up, and she's like, I don't think so. I'm kind of a lesbian. Oh, oh, oh dear. Oh dear. And like walked away and I was just like, it's C-3PO. Like, oh, oh my. Oh, 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 I do. Oh, oh. But, but, C-3PO. Oh. I ship C-3PO and uh, Sulu. <laughs>
<laughs> oh dear! Oh my! my. Oh dear! Oh my! <laughs> Is that the forcible uh, rape of C-3PO? You're coming in this direction. You're coming with this erection. That's Ooh. why he's called Golden Rod. <laughs> yes. Ah! <laughs> I'm fluent in over six million forms of communication, but none of them are love. <laughs> <laughs> you know what would have been really fun? There's no way in hell that they would have done it, but it would be really fun. As if it had a completely different ending than the movie. Like the Emperor turns the Death Star on the moon of Endor and just blows him the fuck up. And that's pretty much where it ends. That would have been. All Luke hacks the Emperor's no, 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 head no. off. I, I've got a better one. Seriously. <laughs> they don't blow up the Death Star. They kill the Emperor. And they, you know, they kill all the stormtroopers and everything. But they turn the Death Star into the world's, the, the universe's greatest disco. Because it kind of looks like a gleaming ding, ball hanging in They bring all the Ewoks <laughs> up into it, yeah. <laughs> and then eat them. Or it, it, <laughs> it end, or have it end like Field of Dreams, where, where Luke and his father are down on the mood of Endor having a catch. That that that, that could work. You want to go have Leia a catch, tells son? That, Leia tells Han that she's pregnant, and he says, Luke? And then she's like, no, 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 no. But, you know, while you were um, in that dungeon, and I was Jabba's slave girl, <laughs> and then it's just oh, like the last... It's Han's face, and his eyes go big. No. It's like the opening scene of The Fly 2, basically. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm calling it quits right there. <laughs> oh, I'm the one that's beyond the boundaries of good taste yeah, now. Yeah, right? This time you get to be, yeah. Own it, man. Andy, you have the world's greatest laugh. Every time you his, laugh on your podcast, I think it's awesome. His laugh um, is very contagious, yes. I'm really sorry about that. That was hysterical. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the one that's finally the burr of bad <laughs> <laughs> Oh, quality. <laughs> Comedy gold. <laughs> oh, dear me. Ha, 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 ha.